Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world. You're part of it wherever you are right now, wherever you are. You're a part of the great story. And welcome to the Land of Israel Network. Thank you very much, Ari and Jeremy, and thelandofisrael.com. And thank you very much to the Pardes Institute, and thank you very much, and shalom to Rabbi Mike Foyer. Oh, shalom, Yishai. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, uh, and it's been a it's been a hectic but but good week. Um, Amen. <laughs> uh, yesterday, I had a very famous and controversial uh, kind of TV personality, Katie Hopkins, in Chevron, and we did some video about BDS and about why Jews. She she. she I feel bad that I don't know who she is. Uh, no, I didn't know either. It's a, it's, a, okay. it's more in the British sphere. Okay, in the fair, British sphere. Uh, she's coined a new term called Jexodus. Jexodus, the What's Jewish that? Exodus from Europe. Oh yeah, yeah or or Jexit. I don't know. Jexit. <laughs> <laughs> this could get edgy. I see. Yeah. Oh, she's edgy. She's all about edge, and she said some things that people really don't like. But she's also actually quite popular. And and out of nowhere, like these British people who were just in Hebron were just like crowding around her, just wanting to take a picture with her. And it was really fun. But it's been a been a hectic week in other ways, and I think for you as well. At the same time, we are here today on Rosh Chodesh Adar. Oh, good Adar! That's right. That's right. So, so the the, the sages, in their infinite wisdom, uh, uh, seeing that we needed to add a month every every few years. What's the seven word? out of every nineteen? Right, occultation or something like that. What is the intercalation? Intercalation, <laughs> you know. Ibor Chodesh. Uh, yeah, Ibor Chodesh. Right, the pregnancy of the month. The uh, it's impregnated by having this. Uh, we have this extra month uh, called, and it could have been like you would have thought had the Litvox taken hold of this, it would have been, been Av. It would have been another Av, <laughs> right? It would have been another sad month. This is just to prove that our sages were actually Hasidim. Right, that's right. And so they chose that uh, uh, that there would be an extra Adar. So there are sixty days of Adar now. Adar in the Jewish thing is the happy month. Well, you know, the funny thing is, it's logical that they added an otter because Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha, right? When we come into this month, we increase our joy or we joyfully increase, depending on how you look at it. But so, of course, you had to double down because it's just more. That's right. Now, the Lubav Cherebi has two things he says about this, many things, but two things that I remember. One is, he says, Marbim Besimcha. We do more. Enjoy. Yes. Not just add more joy. We just do more good stuff. That's right. Enjoy. So marbim besimcha. The oh, other thing. Which is not as easy as it may sound. That's right. That's right. And the other thing he says is, this is a good one. He says, now you have 60 days of being joyful. So the mission is to be totally joyful for 60 days and all your bad stuff will go away because it'll be batel bashishi. Oh, I okay, like that. Which means one, you know, a, a, a drop Starting of Starting today, people. No more bad thoughts. Just one in 60th, there's a halachic principle that a one in 60th, a one part in 60 is uh, null. The solution to pollution <laughs> is delusion. <laughs> Just always remember that. I never heard that one. What? You didn't grow up in the environmental science world. Oh my God, the solution to pollution is delusion. I can tell you a whole history of Amis around the attempt at simulation to get at that one. Oh we don't need God. to go there right now. Oh That's the salacious standpoint as well because it sees Jews as a pollution. Right. The solution to pollution is dilution. That's funny. Okay, so, but I don't know how that connects. We said one in, oh, right. One, one in 60, 60 because so right. you drop a, drop a milk into 60, it's gone. It's dispersed. Right. But says the love Shrebi. Right, says the love Shrebi. If you're happy for, for, for 60 days, then all of whatever pains and, and problems that you have will dissipate, will dilute. I'm going to take that, that challenge. That's the 60-day challenge. challenge. 60, it is, this is the 60-day challenge. Starts, We're going to check it starting today. Starts today. Today is Aleph, Adar, Aleph. Right, right. 
starts right, today. I'm ready. And it's like it's just just like 60 days of full joy, and it'll just everything else will just melt away. Uh, but 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 of course, com- commensurate with that is the challenge that the dark forces of this universe have also on these very same days. Therefore, to try to stop you, they will try to stop you. Yes. So, so the world so, is a responsive place. Right. So prepare, prepare for that. Gird thine loins. Gird thy loins. Somebody, I, I heard this morning, you know, the, last night was the uh, democratic holiday for the Likud, uh, Lik, the Likud votes. Oh, the, right. We call that democracy. Democracy. Yes. In Israel, they call it the Chag HaDemokratia. <laughs> you know, they sell, and they literally say Chag HaDemokratia. That happens. They say the, the, the holiday of democracy. Uh, by the way, also uh, th- at the beginning of this week was the Roman holiday that so many, so many people, I'm sure many of my listeners also enjoyed. That Roman, Roman holiday. Yeah, it's it's a Roman game and f- and feast. I'm missing you. Oh, it was the su- super. B- oh, well, the, super, oh the, sorry. the Roman <laughs> right over my head. I like to just ask people. I'm it's just the like Greco-Roman festival. Right. I'm like, how was your your Roman? Uh, uh, how was ga- the sacrifice in games? Right in games. Right. And, yeah. Uh, and meal. How was that? Was that was that fun? Was I that, missed it. That's just, sorry. I, I I don't like to say the word idolatry because people get too upset about that, and I don't think it's a really idolatrous. It's just chukat goyim. It's just the the uh, well. The it's Moshe of Leitzim is what the Gemara calls right, it. Right, and it's a Moshe of Leitzim. You're sitting is, in the camp of scorners. Right, it's it's a, scoffers. In, in in other words, it's a, it's a big waste of time. And I didn't last week, and I wanted to give my usual yearly speech speech of do not I, watch the Super Bowl once you've twice you've given a challenge. That's right, I've given the challenge. Oh, well, you gotta be careful because I think you're gonna pay out big for the last challenge you gave. Oh, that's right. I'll get to that in just a second. But I missed I missed your warning people this year to skip the Super Bowl. Uh, that's what my father, I love a Super Bowl. Yeah, he's like... <laughs> that's I'll the never, Russian side in your father. No, because huh? he drove me one time on, on, a sh- on a Sunday morning to YU. From Shab- I was Shabbat in, in, at home, and he drove me back. There was nobody on the roads. He listened to 1010 Winds, and they're talking about something that he can't figure out. And he says, he just turns to me with full seriousness, and he says, what is Super Bowl? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a moment you never forget. Yes, it was a great moment. I laughed and laughed. And then I explained to him. He's like, okay. But there was nobody on the roads. Anyway, the way I, I talk to my fellow uh, 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 co is I just say to them, "How was the Roman holiday that you enjoy so much? Was it was it was it was it good? was it even a good game? Was it yeah right? Was it? Of course, when people get like they get too upset, I just say, look, enjoy it. I'm not saying don't enjoy it. Enjoy it. Just know what you're doing. Right. Just know what you're doing. Don't and don't make it into like a value. Just just okay. You 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 want to watch your you grew up in the Roman culture and and okay. You know, it's funny. I saw recently a, a very interesting article, academic. Um, speaking about the rise of sports within American Jewry, uh, from two perspectives. One is it's one of the only areas of American life that all subsets of the Jewish experience could sort of share a love of. Right. With all the fractures within American Jewry in like the 40s and 50s at its sort of formative collective identity stage, sports was something everybody could get behind. Like everybody loved Hank right. Greenberg. Right. He went to shul and then he hit two home runs on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and the other side was the sort of when you were growing up, you were a little bit firmer than I, but I bet every person in the conservative movement or outward got for their bar mitzvah at least one, if not three copies of the great Jewish sports heroes book, right? And, and there's a role that the need for manly Jews that was fulfilled here in the land of Israel by Tzahal, right? right? That, that the, the IDF. Sport, the IDF, thank you. <clears throat> that that, that the, the sport culture really plays it was a fascinating yeah, article that is very interesting but the and that is true that when the immigrants came from ellis island through ellis island there was a big boxing thing jews were boxers sure and i that i get but, but to, i'm just but, talking about culturally right. like here's a way we can all be americans that isn't controversial as opposed right. to like eating treif or working on shabbos it's right. like everybody can get behind 
the Detroit Tigers. Right. You're you're right what you're saying. Um, but And it's very deep in the American psyche. And then when American Jews come here to Israel, they bring it with them. My contention they is... they want to stay Americans. <clears throat> well, my contention is that every galut, every, uh, every exile or, or diaspora Jewry that immigrates back to the land of Israel brings with it the many positive things of their diaspora existence. For example, the Russian Jews will bring with them uh, chess and high tech and 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 uh, excelling at mathematics and all these kind of things that Russian Jews are good at. They'll also bring with them pork. They'll also bring with them prostitution. They'll also bring with them all kinds of things that come with the Russian experience. Right. American Jews will Russian come. Russian experience is pork and prostitution. Yes. Okay. And 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 the, the uh, and vodka and that kind yeah, of yeah. whole thing. Sure. Okay. What what you, what you think of stereotypically? There's there's a lot of truth in it. Same thing with the American Jews. The American Jews will bring with them the can-do attitude and democracy. Environmental and consciousness. Environmental, uh, and just, just this whole, you know, the whole coming to Israel and wanting to make it better. They'll bring with them uh, uh, an absurd... Rampant consumerism. Right. Consumerism and an absurd obsession with... with, with, with Sports. With, people, with other people throwing a ball around. Right. And, and also, I'm going to say this, and I'm sure some listeners will be upset by this, certainly at this institution parties, but the, the very idea of a gay rabbi... Like the whole, like, like, look at me. I've created this thing called a gay rabbi, and it's the most normal thing in the world. Like, let's put it this way. Russian Jews are just like, say what? I'm talking about the most secular of Russian Jews are like, what? What are you even talking about? And basically, the whole Jewish world is like, what? But American Jewish not, experience. Yeah, so not the whole Jewish world. Right. The other half of the Jewish world. Right. Okay. The, the, the rest of the, the, you know, the French and the, the whole world. Yeah, uh, the whole, Lopashutze. Lopashutze, and, but American yeah. Jews have this thing. They'll bring in, you know, the, 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 the gay rabbi and the, no, and the whole world. I hear this. Part of it makes perfect sense to me. What? The gay rabbi notion. Part okay. of it just makes perfect sense. Uh, okay. It comes from that root of the culture, which is like, okay, that's what you want to call yourself. Like that's what you are. Okay. There it's you the go. you're I'm okay, you're okay aspect of American culture. And 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 there's 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 something beautiful about that, but then it sometimes can go over to Very the grotesque. Problematic. No, yeah, for sure. It's the grotesque. For sure. Anyway, so uh, so I hope you enjoyed your Roman holiday, or I I hope you actually didn't take part in the Roman holiday. But if you did, then I then I like I give you a, I say good because to hate like famously like Rabbi Cook saw. Rav Cook saw, you know, people being Michal Shabbos or what, you know, and, and somebody asked him about it and he said, okay, let them, you know, it's it's too bad, but let them enjoy it at least, you know. Hanach <laughs> Yeah, right, let them, okay, if, if I see a Jew driving to the beach in Shabbos, it's it's wrong and if he asks me, he'll t- I'll tell him, don't drive and so beautiful to keep Shabbat, but if you're going to do it, Okay, so okay, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna say that's like the opposite of the old Yiddish attitude, which is at least it should hurt. <laughs> at least it should hurt. That's right, right. That's good. That's also a good point. That's also a good point. That's also a good point. That's a, that's an interesting thought. Uh, you 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 uh, mentioned alluded a cha- to. alluded to those words a a, um, a challenge that I that I put out last week in a, in a weird cosmic disalignment. Uh, you and I had both mentioned some American movie. Actually, mine was British. Yours was British. Mine was American, but Western movie, and and you weirdly didn't know my movie, and I weirdly didn't know your movie. But it, I threw out that if anybody well, knows our those movies two, here, you should. right? If anybody know, knew those quotes, it turns out that those were two popular uh, quotes, and we got f- five. Uh, uh, email slash WhatsApps. Yeah, some of them that I got were really shocked that neither of us knew the other one. Right, it, I said it was a weird cosmic disalignment, and 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 in my uh, as we say in Hebrew, chol haskala, like a, a, a lacking part of my education process. I did not see the whole, the. Well, you've never actually seen it. I've never. I've seen maybe clips of it, but I never saw oh. the whole thing. The Holy Grail. Chaval al Davdin. Uh, we're talking. Uh, what are their names again? Monty Python. Monty Python, Holy Grail, and and you in, in a weird. I've seen the Prince's Ride many times, but you. I just, 
Just missed the quote. Okay, so missed in any case, I, I offered, I promised that I would send out books. I think I should have limited it to the top three, but since our listeners are such such beloved, such warm and good people. And they're listening closely. And they're listening closely. Uh, I shall uh, send out uh, those books to all of you. First, Autographed copies. That's right. Rabbi Mike will autograph it, and I will add a smiley face and maybe <laughs> a sticker and a star. Uh, you folks that that want, that sent me those quotes, all of you, please send me back your addresses for mailing, and indeed, it'll be in the mail, in the mail. So God bless you, and you'll enjoy this. It's a much better thing to do with your free time than to uh, it, take part in the in the Roman holiday. But you can't read it in the bathroom. You just cannot now. read it in the bathroom. It is a no bathroom. It's a bit blocked from the bathroom book. Speaking of no bathrooms, um, the, Wait, the, whoa, whoa. the tabernacle had no bathrooms. No, definitely not. You had to leave the camp, in you fact. To, you had to leave the camp. But we'll get to that in a different part right. of the show. Right. Yeah, that's right. But, but we begin today with the- it's a house with no toilet. That's right. <laughs> okay. We're going <laughs> to stop is not, now. That that's is not the title of this show. Is, or maybe. I just got to write down. <laughs> no, please gotta, don't. And if you do, attribute it to yourself, right, not okay. me. The house with no toilet. Okay. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't sound Rabbi like- Rabbi Cole's temple, house with no <laughs> toilet. <laughs> I don't think that's the right thing to do. This week's Torah portion, we begin yet again a kind of revolution within, within uh, the text. I mean, just hitting them one after another in the right, Bush mode. Right. We're, and this is, we're, we're going to something, we're going to someplace else today. We're going to someplace else. Uh, we're well, going yeah, to an, sure. uh, a mostly non-narrative, although I, I think that I've pulled out actually narrative points along the, the dots along the line, but we're going into the first of our, if we had last week the torts and the laws and things that, let's say you're in law school and you're like, okay, this is cases that I can understand. I could draw a narrative around it. Right. It makes sense to me in right, legal but mind. There's a story, right? There's a story that happened, a case. Right. Here we're going to something else, which is basically architecture. We're going yep. to an architectural blueprint uh, of of uh, and also an idea that 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 God's presence should and could be housed, could be housed. That it's that itself is a revolutionary thought, and and maybe one even might even through logic might even deduce that it's an idolatrous thought. Yeah, I was going to say the revolutionary element of it is not, I think, in the in the idea that God's presence could be housed, because that element is what we take from from the ancient world and and the photozarah from idolatry. Right. It's important to own that. Like they, that we as a people, um, part of our task of the early phase of our history was to redeem the very true and visceral elements of idolatrous culture. Like like this, that that you can have a place to meet God. Other elements, by the way, the importance of embodiment and the critical nature of the sanctity of the body and 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 action in the world. There's lots that we don't have to go into now, but I think the revolution here is the fact that that um, God is both in the place and the world is in God, right? That that I was just really sort of like by by divine circumstance in in my daily uh, I read a, a chapter of the Bible every day as part of my learning, and I, I reached in in Chronicles King Solomon's dedication speech of the temple. Which of course is the you know Mishkan 2.0, if you will, right? Right, and and he he struggles with this mystery of like you know the heavens and the heavens of the heavens are are not big enough to hold you. How could I build you this house? So I think that the revolution here is that uvecholzot, meaning yes, we all know that God is infinite and yada yada yada, but nevertheless, God wants a place to hold His presence in meeting with us, mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. the revolution is that that God's choice of the Mishkan and ultimately of the temple is that that I'm willing to contract the infinite into this world in order that you can meet me there. Right. 
It's a, a tremendous act of love. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it may seem logical to come to the conclusion that God is everywhere. But then when you think about and that God could and should not be somehow limited to our space here. Then when you think about it in another logical perspective, you think to yourself, God created the universe. That did not need to exist. It's not a, it's not, it's not, it's not a uh, chovah. It's not a, it's, it's not a, ne- a philosophical it's not a, necessity. Right. It's like, okay. It's so problematic, he, in fact. <laughs> right. He creates a universe. Then within a giant universe, he picks the third ball from one particular sun's galaxy, galaxy's sun. No, it's a scientist still flailing to find any other life out there. Right, right, <laughs> right. The, you know, and, and it's a giant, ginormous, big, really, word, really big world. And then, but it, within that, and, and, and God also wants you to know that. Yeah. He wants you to know that you're on a little blue planet. By the way, you know what the indication of that is in the Bible? The stars. Like, never forget, like, like the experience, and, and if people haven't done it, and if you haven't been out in true darkness and looked up the sky sure. and felt like I like like a grain of sand yourself. Like, gosh, it's so big. Even in the ancient world where they had no conception of, of space as we do, all you have to do is look up. Right. You know, it's it's such a powerful experience. It's a very powerful experience. You're absolutely right. I grew up with those experiences and and I had even more of those later on in life. Even in the army, I had uh, amazing experiences when I used to wear the at nighttime in in very very desolate places. I used to wear these night vision glasses and you and you goggles and you look up at the at the stars and you see like more stars than you could ever see with your naked eye. Right. And 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 then also to understand and I try to explain this to my kids that actually our galaxy is this spiral thing. And if you look up straight, you see kind of the Milky Way, which is the heart of the galaxy. But if you look to the right and the left, it's darker because those are that's outside of the galaxy. Right. It's just it's, so we have the we're, scale we're, is incredible. Right. The scale. Right. So we're on a little blue ball, and within that blue ball, uh, uh, there's limited, very, very exciting, very teeming, but limited life. I'm starting to feel anxious. Right. Yeah. And then <laughs> within that, there's there's you know the world is spread out in its various ways, and within that, there's a land. Within that land is, and there's a nation on that land. Within that land is a city. Within that city is, is a hill. A, a hill with, uh, you know, a, a, not a very dramatic hill. No, per se. It's Harim Savivla. Right. It's actually surrounded by higher mountains. Right. And then, and then, and then, and then, this place. There's a temple, and in this temple, there are there's the outer courtyard and the inner courtyard, and then there's the holy of holies. And within that holy of holies, which we're going to get to today, is this, is this place. Yeah. And. What I get from that is this desire for intimacy. Is that that the it's true? It's important to hold the awe of you know shmaim shmei shmaim lo right? That the heavens and the heavens and the heavens can't hold you. But the problem with that is that it, it goes so easily in the human psyche to okay, well that's irrelevant, or it's the watchmaker god of 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 this you know the scientists of the 18th century, or it's Aristotle's ultimate good. But there's no personality there. There's, there's, there's no divine desire for relationship, which is the core of our Torah. The idea that God desires a relationship with the world and that the Jewish people are tasked with maintaining that connection is what this Parsha is all about in all of its details. Even, even the word God's desire is, is a philosophically challenging it is term. The, no, it is the biggest right. theological mystery that we hold. Right. But, but you that, know what? Everybody knows there's no explanation for desire. Right, exactly. That, and that's that's what that's what the Chabad rabbis say. Yeah. They say you can't, you cannot. You, there's no explanation for tava, and it says ivala moshavlo, like he yeah. yearned for it. There's there's no explanation for desire, and he desired a place to hold his presence. Okay. Okay. One of the greatest verses in this parsha that well, first I, you know what? Let me backtrack. First thing, another mystery within that is God says, "Take for me a." 
uh, a volunteer offering, right? Take for me a truma. How do you translate truma? Donation. A donation. Immediately, Rashi asks, what, basically says, Lee, what do you mean me? What do I need, a donation? God needs your donation. He doesn't need your donation. Okay, it's, it's, he's like Trump. You know, he doesn't need your money. No. <laughs> How is God you like did Trump? Not, oh, no. Please don't go there. Please don't go there. Oh, my gosh. No, but, 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 really, but really, that is the question, which is, what does it mean? Bring for me an offering, says Rashi. Great. I love this Rashi. I don't know why I love it. Lee, Lishmi, for my name. Not for me. But for my honor, for my name, for my glory, for glorifying me. It's not for me, the me, me, but it's for the me that broadcasts to the world. Like, and, like help me be a broadcaster, help me glorify my name. And realize that one of the reasons I believe it's Rashi, it's so important to Rashi to place that at the beginning of this Parsha, is you could misunderstand this Parsha from the beginning to the end, and it would lead you down a path of mistaken religiosity right all the way to the 21st century, right. which is the, the glory of the, of the house that Am Yisrael is tasked to build is not so that God can be like some rich donor who has like you know the the fancy you know the fancy suit in the, in the house and the guy. It's not. It's not about him. It's not about him. It's in order that the world appreciate, and that is just the nature of humanity. Mm-hmm. Is that we all know like the idea of dressing for success is not a joke, right? We can criticize the externals all we want, but but it makes an impression on the world, particularly in here in the ancient world, where where the aesthetics of the average person's life were just like gray and muddy. Right. Right? To, to build such a glorious house. Right. And to take it on a journey is, is like something which makes an impression. So everything, everything we do, and this is what we have to remember as Am Yisrael, like, you know, you see, by the way, it plays out in Jewish law in many places. Everything we do needs to be in order to represent God's glory in the world. Not because God needs to feel glorious, but because the world needs to be able to receive that glory and, frankly, the physical matters. It does. It really does. And I, I want to tell you that one of the things that I'm always surprised about is uh, clothing. I'm, I'm always surprised at how how much. Yeah, that's cl- next week. I, yeah, I'm, you're right. That is next week. That's right. I was we, thinking we that. shouldn't. Don't go there. Right. Just I'm just amazed at how much clothing there is in this world, and, yeah. and that you find your exact clothing. Have you ever thanked God for your clothing? Do you know that in Judaism, when you buy a new piece of clothing, you're supposed to thank God for it? And another thing is, Rabbi Nachman has a great thought, which he says when you, before you go into the Macy's, just say. Tati, Dad, Abba, can you buy me a shirt? Before you buy that shirt, before you take out your money, right. say, God, can you buy me a shirt? And, and, and that's the way to relate to it. I usually go shopping with my mom, though. Okay, there you go. But I, <laughs> right, okay. Um, you know, the old joke about God will provide. And yeah, the yeah, father-in-law yeah. is he like, I'm God. He thinks I'm God. Okay, uh, verse, uh, oh, uh, if I didn't say we're in the Torah portion of Truma, it is found at Exodus chapter 25. And here I want to f- focus for a second on verse 8, one of the most famous verses, certainly when dealing with the questions of, of the tabernacle and the temple. I know it's tabernacle, I know. <laughs> um, uh, it's, They will make for me, they shall, they should, make for me a sanctuary, and then I will dwell within them. And this can be understood in, in many ways. I've, on the simple, the true simple way is they'll make me a sanctuary within their camp, within their, within their dwelling places, and therefore I will be amongst them. Yes, remembering that the Mishkan traveled in the center of the camp of Israel. Right. And we, we learn later on in, in the Torah and, and in the rest of the Tanakh, the f- verses like, you know, when you have a temple, then my soul, my, my spirit isn't grossed out by you. 
Right. Right. Like, like there's something about you because you're human and you poop and you got a lot of stuff and you have and we make mistakes and we do bad right, things. You're you're, you're really kind of icky to the perfection that is God. Right. And so I've established this thing amongst you that 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 will let allow my presence to be amongst you. It's, it, listen, there's a very deep theme here, and I know that um, Purim is going to be part of our discussion before we're done, but this idea that God chooses to dwell with, on a, with, with us in the midst of our per- imperfection is not just a theme of the, um, of the let's call the nexus of holiness in space, which is the Mishkan. It's a theme of the nexus of holiness in time, which is Yom Kippur, right? That, that God says, like, listen, I know that you're human. I made you, mm-hmm. Right but I choose to be with you for some unknown reason. It's not clear at all in the Torah why God would put up with that. I mean, God is God after all. Why doesn't God create us perfect? Right. right? But God says, listen, here's the Mishkan to fix that in space. Here's Yom Kippur to fix it in time, right? And, and it's Yom Kippur because, Yom ha- because Purim is going to explain to us why God would want that. Like, Why would God make the world that way? What does it give to God that God, so to speak, can't have? Without it, so we're gonna have to wait and answer that question mm-hmm. when we get into our discussion. Of right. Purim. I just if you didn't know, there is a relationship between Yom Kippur and Purim. Uh, there's, there's the the word sounds similar, and and even some rabbis say that that Yom that Purim is higher than Yom Kippur because Yom Kippur is only is right. right. It's only Kippurim. It's only it's like like Purim, like like Purim, and it's exactly the opposite. Like here's a day that you fast and you self. What's it called? We we, we deny. We 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 basically. Um, strip down the physical, right, in order to assert to God that that you know our spiritual being right. is is perfect and capable of being intimate with you, right. And and contrary to that, in contrast to that, is Purim a day of of laughter, of laughter, <coughs> levity and frivolity of some level, intoxication, intoxication. And and we're already negotiating the boundaries of the coming suda in oh, the warehouse that, right now. Oh, is that an issue? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Some of you listening are familiar with the phenomenon. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, well, the problem is, is that we negotiate the boundaries, and at the end of the negotiation, I say the same thing every year, which is, yeah, but it's Purim. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, That's basically, I, I, I'm telling you now, and I, I agree to this discussion, but just remember, when it's Purim, it's actually Purim. The Purim and all those, like, all those boundaries are just going to be gone. It's the Joker. It's the Joker on many levels. Like, oh, think, yeah. Think of the Joker card. Oh, yeah. Which is the Joker card. First thing, the Joker is the guy who could say anything and crazy things to the king. Mm-hmm. And the Joker is also a lot of times like Trump's the ace. Yeah. It's there's there's something the about, wild card. It right. is it is the wild card. Right. But it but it's but it's that it's also the jester the, oh, the yeah. Joker. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's something there's something about that and there's something about also the Megillah which we're going to get to which has that court that that King's Court feel to it. I'm an otter baby. I'm feeling the I'm feeling the oh, energy. How are you feeling? Okay, we got 60 days to rock it this year. That's right. I get two birthdays. By the way, just for the health folks. Vasuli Migdash with Shachanti Betucham is also make your body into a temple, and then I will dwell within you. And and a lot of times, <clears throat> uh, my my friend, uh, uh, the other Mike, uh, Mike Berzin, my yeah, I haven't seen him in a long time. I, I, I've because I moved and this and that. But Mike Berzin, you know, he he also used he always used to say like a healthy body means a healthy spirit and a healthy mind. <clears throat> and so so there's the thought which is make me a temple. You know, let me make sure that your machine, body machine, which I gave you, is is taken care of, and then I can dwell within you. And this is what I meant when I said that we, our task is always to redeem 
the both the culture and the time period within which we find ourselves, and that we took out of the of the Avodazara world. It's where we split with early Christianity, who rejected the body and saw it as only and as an irredeemable element of creation, as if God made anything that was irredeemable, right? A, a, whereas we say exactly that. It's just, no, the body is as much here to serve God as the soul. That's why there are commandments. That's why God said, yeah, make me a physical house. Not only make me a physical house, but I'm going to be very specific in my requirements. You picture, you know, like if you've ever built an apartment before or a house, right, you know, go, we got to pick the tiles. So like, oh, I never thought about the fact that I have to choose which hooks are going to be in the bathroom. And Gee, like, oh, I don't know what kind of marble I want on the can. Did you just do it? No, you have to choose. And so we see in our parsha that every single detail is an expression of choice. Speaking of those details, I want to I want to digress about those details for a second, which is to show you something. Uh, I'm holding here a a newish kind of set of books called Rashi Kipshuto, and and this is from uh, another one of these. You know, book publishers that puts out uh, a style book where they elucidate Rashi, and then this this week I was looking at it and I looked at the pictures that they made for the Mishkan. That's so great to have pictures. Fe- the best pictures I've ever seen. So some of those, well done. Some of those look Rashi's this, are at, really look, hard to understand. Look at these. Look at these pictures in general about the the tables that they put out. And I and I wanted to explain something to people that kind of don't understand the difference between our time today of living in the land of Israel and and living in a different time, we are living in a revolution of knowledge as well. Oh, yes. People, I don't think people uh, always understand what we're talking about here. The depth of Torah study. There's a great phrase, which I lost its place, uh, but but it's a fantastic phrase that by, by the sages that say, the exile is the greatest bittel Torah. There's no mm-hmm. greater bittel Torah than exile. Sure. There's nothing like the Torah of the land of Israel. It's 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 a completely different order of magnitude. It's just a totally different order of magnitude. You know what? It's beyond orders of magnitude, despite the Napoleon quote that you love so much. Yeah. That quantity has its a quality all its own. <laughs> I do like that. Right? For me when I when in, in my journey through history, one of my primary metaphors of understanding the relationship between the Torah and Am Yisrael is that Basically, the Torah is like a, it's like a seed. You plant it, you water it, and poof, Am Yisrael pops up. Right. Pops up in Poland, pops up in North Africa, right. pops up in Brooklyn. Take your pick. But I, recently, in, in exploring this notion of, of the Torah of Eretz Yisrael, and especially in Rav Kook's thought, what I've come to realize is it's not like you put it into Eretz Yisrael and ah, now it's in its native soil, and it's like a really nice oak tree. No, what you discover is actually it was never an oak tree at all. It's something much bigger. And, and we're only beginning to touch the surface of what it is to actually plant the Torah in the land of Israel once again, the right. people as an organic outgrowth of that Torah. And there are, there are dimensions and horizons of the Torah, and a lot of what's holding us that we have not explored, and what a lot of what's holding us back is simply the fact that we're very attached to exile. Right. Even those of us here sitting, loving the fact that we're in the land of Israel, mm-hmm. we're just very attached to exile. And, and we're very attached to our experiences. Yeah, we, 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 it's not that we're attached. We don't really know. Other, you know, we're our God and the God of our Father. So right. much of what we know and what we do physically, emotionally, spiritually is simply inherited. Right. And and it's a big step of discontinuity to say, okay, but what's next, God? Right. And that's what I say about people like both Yosef and Kalev Ben Yifune. That Yosef is in prison and he's able to be like, ta-da, I'm ready to be second in charge. They have a certain kind of geula dick mind. Yes. They have an ability, and, and Kalev Ben Yifune is like, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm ready to inherit this land. I yep. see, you know, I'm ready to fight. Not everybody has that. You you are a a product of your environment and your, and your birth and all that. So you have a hard time imagining past. And 
that's to me one of my favorite songs. We're quoting our favorite lines from the sages. Is that you know they say that there are three things that come They come when you're not looking, meaning you couldn't possibly seek them out. A scorpion, a lost object, and the Messiah. Right. right? You just can't look for the Messiah. You just have to come across that redemptive consciousness. Right. Right. I, I you know, okay. I don't want to get into the Messiah question, but okay. <laughs> but it's it's something that that always shows me because to me I see an organic progression now, which is like the Tanakh. To me, if you ask me how the future is going to go, uh, you know, this 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 media person asked me what is it going to look like. To me, it's like okay, we're following the the pathway of the Tanakh. I don't see a cataclysmic event. Uh, yeah, not, but, the, but the Tanakh didn't get there. Don't forget it that it got there to the first and second temples, which didn't the, work. They worked. They, they just didn't. Work. They didn't last. They that, worked. No. No. You know, redemption in our tradition is something which is a change of state. Even if you take the Rambam's sort of like extreme position of the restorationist, like natural progression, right. read the end of the Mishnah Torah. Yes. There won't be war. There won't be want. There won't be, you know, competition. Yes. It's, it's a pretty that's radical redemption. shift. That's, an, that's another level past this third redemption. No, Mapitom, he's discussing the time of the Messiah. I'm, uh, the, 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 there are, and and there's, a, there's a lot of people who parse out those different times within the Messiah. For sure. But I, I'm, saying, I'm saying if you ask what's happening here in the land of Israel... It's the ingathering of the exiles. It's the slow return to what you're talking about, which is... These are the precursors. Right. Right. Uh, there's going to be a greater consciousness, a greater thing, a way, way, way greater thing. It's in the prophets. There's no denying that. That's what I'm saying. So, so on some level, our task is to work to do what we know we can do and not and just open ourselves to the fact that we can't even imagine. Right. That's right. That's true. That's true. Just so much what Purim is about. That's right. Break out, break out of... Adlo yada. Right. It's that depth of knowledge that comes from knowing that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, okay. The only thing I wanted to add about that was that there's really two kinds of Judaisms. This is my thought. There's two kinds of Judaisms. Mishkan Judaism, uh-huh. which is diaspora Judaism, uh-huh. which means that- The mobile Jewish unit. Mobile Jewish unit. It means to say, okay, we're in Krakow. I need, I need now a synagogue. I need the rabbi. I need a mikvah. I need the sheichet, the, the slaughterer. I need the, I need the malamed. You need the moil. I need the moil. And, and I say to God, come on down. Because we're here and be with us here. Yeah, we're God making says, camp. Oh, okay, we're making camp. But God says, okay. Or he says to you, basically, I want you to make camp here. You right. make camp and it all works out. Maybe it's more like that. Okay. And that is a, I argue that that is a legitimate mode. And, and, and in fact, the majority mode. Historically speaking. Right. That's the majority mode. So therefore, my beloved Zionist friends, don't poo-poo the diaspora in such a way as to say what you called on your show. Yeah, shlilash tagola. Right. That's a very hard thing to uproot because it's at the base of much Zionist education, either explicitly or implicitly. Right. Uh, That's a task that we need to do today. mm, Well, I uproot it in the sense, I don't uproot it in the sense that I say this was a legitimate a legitimate form that also, by the way, brought us here. It's a type of sure. a type of a type of journey, a type of lifeboat, a type of a type of uh, progress. The question is, does it still have a place? Oh, so today? then, so then, here's the thing. Then there's also Mikdash Judaism, right? As opposed to as opposed to decentralized, it is a it's a switch that is toggled. Who yeah. toggles that switch? God. God toggles it. He just toggles it, and he says, "Time to come home." It's folks. time to come home. It, why? Is it because of European nationalism? Is it because of persecution? No, you can't right, confuse although, mechanism with meaning. Right. <laughs> well said. I like that uh, mechanism with meaning. Here, hold on one second. I want to write that down for the... Because uh, then I always struggle to find out what I should call the show. As long as it's not a house with no toilet. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, uh, but 
Mikdash Judaism is when God says, everybody turn your head and face Jerusalem because mm-hmm. we're going to Jerusalem. Going home. We're going home. Now, I don't want to say that, therefore, it is a lower level to be of diaspora Judaism, but it is a valuable and time-honored and legitimate form of, of, of Jewish traits. Now, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the lower level. I found the Talmud that says it. That says it. It's lower level in the sense that it's a lower exposure to godliness. And I found, I found, a, I found a Talmud phrase that just says it clearly. There's no, there's no doubt. Well, there's about a number it. of them. Yeah. There's no, there's no question about it. We all understand that. It's, I was just saying how I feel about it. I'm not saying whether it's correct or not. It's lower level in 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 a not in an absolute in an absolute value, but not in a relative value. Meaning to say, if you were born in the in the you know the year thousand in in Provence and and you did your part to keep the if you were Rashi and you kept the the thing going right, I mean you know I want to go to Rashi's tomb. I really want to go to Rashi's tomb. I really really want to go to Rashi's tomb. I just feel that I'm gonna go with my mom. I'm gonna go with my mom. I feel it. We're gonna, we gotta I, go. I hit a new place with Rashi last week in my teaching. Yeah, like I felt a, a, a deeper understanding of Rashi's mission than I've ever, because in in, in my eyes Rashi um, is the single greatest teacher. Yep. In the history of Amisha. Yep. 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 Perhaps yep. even. More so than Rabbi Huda Nasi, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, my daughter's doing a project on Rabbi Huda Bari Lai. Oh yeah, and I was just like, uh, I don't know. It was it was it was magical just to consider this personality. It was it was magical to do. It. Well, Stam Rabbi Huda in the in the Mishnah right. is Rabbi Huda Bari. By the way, I want to tell you something. What I haven't done yet is I've not read the books by Rav Benny Lau. Oh no, I have not read. Oh, them. yeah, very worthwhile. Right? Yeah, I know. They're Gival. Yeah, I know. I know. That's that's like a that's like a next. Uh, that's like a next mission note to, self, to yeah, read Benny, these books. Right, Benny Lau. He's actually making a note to himself right now. Yeah. Um, very very important person in our time, a, a great man. Books are called The Sages, by the way, people the want sages, to know. That's that. right. And also he's got a, on, on a few prophets in Jeremiah. He's got on Jeremiah, well. yeah. Okay, back to the task at hand. Oh, so so there's Mikdash Judaism and Mishkan Judaism. We're in a time now of Mikdash Judaism. You were much, we're on that path. We're on the path. You know what that reminds me of? The Jews had the, the tabernacle in the desert for 40 years. Then they came into the land of Israel. It started parking for long periods of time at certain places. Yeah. It was a transition 369 period. 369 years at Shiloh. Right, which is which is already not really, really, really Mishkan Judaism. It's a kind of Mikdash Judaism. Well, you can still see, by the way, if you haven't been to Shiloh, it's a highly worthwhile place That's to right. visit. That's right. Um, wow, I, we're, we're talking about the big stuff today. Yeah, I, Shiloh. You got you to go check out Shiloh. I get it's to amazing. take people there periodically for, for here for Pardes. It's a, it's a good trip to do. Yeah. Um, but but you see, they actually built stone walls around the tent. Like it's exactly what you're speaking about. There was this like interim stage where they were like they realized, no, we we need to buy it. Like right, we need walls. it. Wait, that's right. But but there's something very important about the fact that we're in this this interim. This it's like we've begun this mikdash process because when you look into the Tanakh, it's always a question that used to bother me until someone gave me a very beautiful answer, which is that how could it be that that you know in the time of Yehoshua and the crossing of the Jordan and the conquest, the unity of Am Yisrael was sort of unquestioned. The Tanakh says, right, the people feared God all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that stood before him. And then you'd like flip the page to the end of the book of Joshua and you get to the book of Judges. It's just like chaos, right? civil war, rape, pillage, plunder. They're cutting people into pieces. It's like as bad as it gets. Yeah. How does it happen? Like, what's up with that? So I, I um, asked one of my teachers and, and what he said to me was, you cannot undervalue the spiritual power that it took to strike root physically in the land of Israel. Right. And that what you see after the book of Joshua 
is the the Yeridah, the sort of fall that comes after having expended that level of spiritual energy just to strike root. His point was like striking root in the land of Israel is the equivalent of a pine tree that manages. You ever seen one of those pine trees growing out of solid granite? Sure. Remember when I was in Colorado, you see these pine trees, like big, gnarly old pine trees just on a freaking piece of rock. And you say to yourself, how does that work? And you get close, you realize there's some crack in the rock that this tree somehow just shot its taproot down through. And this is exactly what Am Yisrael did then. And frankly, what we've done in the last 70 years. Right. Because we've, we've managed it. And then, the, so you look around and people are very critical right now. Like the election season and the questions of corruption yeah. and all these things, which are real questions. I'm not dismissing them. But don't undervalue the fact that what you're seeing also is the sort of breakup of the reentry vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that last time around, what emerged from was Malchut, was true kingship. Oh, yeah. and, and this is where we're headed as well. And there could be more chaos ahead. But part of it just believes in, in, in staying the course. If you stay the course. That's what I believe. I just, that's that's my that's my that's my like that's my gut feeling and, and you gotta and stay I, the course. I, I I actually you said something like you don't poo poo the corruption and all that. I actually do poo poo it on some level. I mean, it's, I say you media folks because I know you media folks. You're like you're about creating today's story. Yeah. You're not about creating vision. You're not about creating. A, 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 you're not about seeing the big picture. You're you're thinking and talking in terms of just like today's little ickinesses. Sure. Sure. That's your thing. And so you you but with your. Your messaging at the end is that you reduce it to today's, you know, to today's, uh, you know, passing right, like, phenomenon, right? Like, and you're not talking about the big stuff. Yeah. Although, although I do catch them from time to time talking about the political shifts that are happening in Israel. They sometimes do say, well, like for example, recently I heard a, a, a tried and true leftist say, like, it's hard to be a leftist in Israel, and I was like. That's a shift. Did you just say that? Did you guys hear what I just heard? And, yeah, because the center is the new left at this point. Right. The, the map has shifted. If you right. if you don't believe that, right. wake up and smell the coffee that's and look right. at look at the polls. That, and the, by the way, that's where where I have a problem also with. And here's here's where I want to conclude in this part. Some parts of American Jewry are way to the lefter of Israel. Yeah, and, big and parts big of American Jewry. And it's just like it's just like, dudes, you're not you're not on board where we are. And, and, and on, there's two ways to say that. One is to say, look, we're splitting apart. Another way to say is when you don't join the Jewish people, you many times become its enemy. That's another type of story. We know that from history. Right, we know that from history. But another part, which is to say within a more loving way, which is, guys, you're not like feeling where we're at. And here's one thought, one thought and within this, Mishkan Judaism versus Mikdash Judaism. Mikdash, Mishkan Judaism is, and I, this, this comes also from inspiration from listening to your shows, the, 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 the Jewish story here on the Land of Israel Network. Um, in many ways, it's about a minority Jewish people living in a giant majority of some yep. kind. Yep. And what Jews do in that modus is to speak truth to power. Yes. Okay, and oftentimes our message is a liberalizing message because our host body is a German, a Pole, a Ukrainian. We're counterculture by definition in Right, but it's also a very easily brutal force that Mm -hmm. is our host, a Hungarian, a Ukrainian. Look at history. Most force is brutal. Right, right. (laughs) And so our Jewish thingy is to send a little with wealth and with media and with with, with, with influence. Liberalizing force. A liberalizing force. Liberal. Be liberal. Be liberal. Okay. Now, the American Jewry, they're coming out of that tradition. They're in that tradition. They are the height of it right now. Right. Now you have a completely different mode, a Mikdash mm-hmm. mode on the mm-hmm. other side of the pond. Mm-hmm. And it basically says, I'm the, I'm the sovereign. 
I'm the sovereign. I'm not like you, a minority living in a large majority trying to influence it positively. I'm I'm the boss. Yeah. And the minority within me is a problematic minority. And therefore, I don't need a liberalizing force right now. I actually need to... A normalizing force. Right. And and certainly an empowered cognitive sovereign. Sovereign, I think, is the perfect word. Right, that's it. And so it's so I say to American Jewry, I am not poo-pooing your modus. I'm not saying that you're invaluable. I'm not saying that diaspora Jewry is valuable. You're wrong, or yeah. But you cannot judge us because you don't have the mental capacity. It's a different mode. You live in a different mode. You can't. You can't understand how we're thinking. And and, this is a very important question because how do you take a culture? I'm just talking about from us from here. Like our most of our cultural resources are based in that Mishkan mode, as you're calling it. And and how do we take a culture which has adapted itself to being the counterculture, to being the speak the truth to power, and and make it into a sovereign? How how do we do? I feel like we're struggling, and that's why many of the models of sovereignty that we've attempted to adopt here are foreign models. Right. Like you pointed out, European nationalism or or you know. British parliamentary or socialism, great example. It's like we haven't hit what Jewish sovereignty it's it's Israelite sovereignty. That's another I think you're 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 here hitting on another question of is there an authentic Jewish culture vis-a-vis the fact that on on the one hand we're an authentic individual very individual people, but on the other hand we're a certain representation of all other peoples. Yeah. And so how do we do it? Like for example, here's a question what's Jewish music? Yeah. Well, I don't know. This Jewish music is basically an amalgam of, of well, but no, I, mean, I can Jewish answer dress. both those questions, which is we need another couple of hundred years right, that's, of organic existence in our land right. to just produce those but, things. But, but, but in a, a we more, made great German music because we were in Germany for a freaking thousand years. But our brothers and sisters, in, especially in the United States of America, are very critical of Israel. And I say to them, Brothers and sisters, first thing, what's happening here is magical. And second thing, you have a very hard time in understanding it. You just, and here's another don't share example. language. I say this sometimes to people. They get so offended. I say to them, do you have any friends who are police officers, American Jewry? Do you have any friends who are uh, soldiers in Iraq or Afghanistan? No, do you foreign ha- culture. Do, do you have any friends who are, who, are, who are construction workers? No. So basically, you don't have anybody who has to employ courage as a daily value, even in your c- friendship circle. Our whole Israel is based on a completely different mode. Well, I mean, that's also I, the reason I would find that difficult is you're giving a very narrow definition of courage, meaning you're talking, I'm, about, I'm, you're talking I'm, about physical I'm, courage. I'm, that's right. Let's, that's let's right. just realize that yes, there, yes, are, yes. there are different types of courage. 100%. Starting a new business and being an entrepreneur and get, starting a startup, it takes a lot of courage. Uh, yeah. 100%. Moral courage. You know, I, this. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not poo-pooing those. I'm saying it's hard for you to understand our daily life, our daily yeah. bread. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you, it's hard for you to conceptualize our daily bread. And, and this goes to the heart of this Parsha, which is that this is a Parsha about the fact that the physical world doesn't just matter. It is definitive. It is the base for all of our divine service. And, and part of the problem I see with American Jewry, as long as we're harping on a theme, is that, that we, and I say we in that sense because I, I am a product of American Jewry, right, um, imbibed a Christian religious ethic. Right. And it works well with certain parts of our Jewish being. And that's why, obviously, the Christians were Yotzei Beit Midrash. They actually broke off from Judaism. And part of that ethic is a, is a world-dismissing ethic which undervalues physical embodiment and that's why the state of israel is almost intrinsically problematic 
for so many reasons, but not the least of which is that's so why funny you're picking up on that physical. Because I bet a lot of people poo-poo. It's like, well, that's I mean, just this guy's willing to risk his life. But I, you know, I have real moral courage. I have intellectual courage, which are very real. But 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 the reality is, is that that words may be painful, but but they don't necessarily have the impact of a bullet out of an M16, right? And and so therefore, we have to be very careful. In putting, I do believe language lies on a continuum of violence, but it's a continuum. You know, there's there's a deep dismissal of the physical world, and this That's, part it's, comes it's just, to combat it. It's interesting it. you're saying that because, on the other hand, America is famous for its materialism. Okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this conversation in advance just to move it along, uh, but it's very very interesting. And maybe actually, you you were talking about uh, embodiment. Here's one of the weirdest phrases. God says, God says. I want you to build an ark. And on top of the ark, I want you to make a lid, a lid with a crown. And when that lid with a crown, on top of that, I want you to make two cherubs facing one another. Okay, that's already, that's already like, wait, God, you told us not to make images, graven images. Now you're saying make a specific, in the Holy of Holies, you want me to make a cherub? Two of them. Two of them facing one another. And then it says, I want you to put the lid on top of the box, but in the put box, a put a lid on it, but I want you to put, uh, that's funny. That's a good name for the show. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm on a roll. Yeah. You're on a little roll today. Okay. Uh, and, and inside the box, I want you to put the 10 commandments and the broken 10 commandments. And I want you to put the lid on it. And then I want you to put the, 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 the cherubs are going to be on top of that. And then it says, I'm going to, this is verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 22. Vinodati lechasham. Vidibati kaporet. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal it to myself That's to you there. One and of I'm my gonna, favorite lines. Right, I'm gonna speak to you from above the lid. Me benchnekovim exactly. And I remember Rabbi Lukens in high school used to say at the exact geometric point between the two cherubs, which are Asher Aronaidut, which is on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, I'm going to tell you all the things that I command you to the children of Israel. I'm going to speak to you from between this 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 exact point between the four wings that are either touching or or but just at an exact kind of point. And then Rashi says the message is going to come down from on high and hit that point and then speak out to you. That's like the shall we say the original transistor. Okay, well, I mean it's the center point of Am Yisrael. Right. Remember that the that the the Brighton and the Gemara and Shabbat says that you know if you're outside of Eretz Israel you face Israel to pray. If you're inside of Eretz Israel you face Jerusalem. If you're in Jerusalem you face the Temple Mount. Around the Temple Mount you face the Holy of Holies. If you're inside the Holy of Holies, where do you face? Between the Kruvim. Which means that you can get if you picture an aerial picture of all of Am Israel praying, they're concentric circles. And we're all facing each other through that point. As the Kruvim are facing each other. Which is the exact message of the Mishkan. The Mishkan is a meeting place between God and Israel. But it only serves as such if it sits at the center of Am Yisrael, if it's where we come to meet each other. And, and I think it's so much apt what you're saying is that we're, about this Mishkan Judaism and the, and the Mikdash Judaism. Is that the, the split between American and Israeli Judaism right now is where's the center point? So we, those of, especially those of us who move, felt that shift of gravity. And there's a culture of American Jewry who are still in the Mishkan mode. They're like, no, the center point, like you were saying, the center point is in the middle of our communities. The center right. point is wherever right. we are. And there's truth to although, that. Although when I, when I argue with them about that, I just go, can we take this week's Jewish news or Jewish week? What's on the cover? 
what's what's the issue? Is it is it some issue here? No. Yeah. The cover's always something that's happening in the state of the Jews. But that's one of the reasons they resent us. Because there's a significant part of the communities there who don't want that to be the case anymore. Okay. And you know what? I accept that. And that's fine. You know what? I'm not going to force my opinion on you. But if anybody asks me what the future of American Jewry is, I have two words. People say to me, what is the future of American Jewry? I go, French Jewry. That's mm. the future. The future is that you are going to become smaller and smaller, less relevant and less relevant. You're right. You're going to keep going. Keep going. And you know what? I, I don't think there'll be going. the violence that French Jewry faces French today. French Jewry faces a violence today because of the Islamic influx. Yes. But, that, but, that, but that's, a, that's a, not the part you were that's speaking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, on that and by level. The way, and by the way, what is happening now in American Congress, okay, that we're seeing that the, the jihadi first, educated- the shoots right, of- I like like yeah. I am the last guy to talk about American anti-Semitism. I'm, I've never really you've never heard me talk about that. But I call a spade a spade. I did see this the, in the past few months arise yeah. in that arise yeah, in that way. It is, it is an alarming. But alarming but I was talking more about the fact that French jury is there. It's alive. It might even be semi-vibrant. Right. But it's but not important. It's, it's not. not yeah, it's, it's not the center it, of the jury. It's world. a sidelight of the story. Right. For sure. Nobody nobody thinks. And and these are people who you know it's French. It's they have this. We're the we're the we're strong the, culture. It's a it's a right. deep self awareness and communal weight, and they've got history. And the and was the only a hundred years ago was the lingua franca. You know of I mean? the world. Sure. The, yeah. You know that was the diplomatic language. That's sure. It. Sure. So so that's that's what where the future is. American juries. Uh huh. That's why I say to them. They're just like oh. I'm not, I don't call for ghettos and destructions and all that. It's just going to shrink and become just what it is, which is a, 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 Jew, a, a proud Jewish community. I, yeah, I, what I think of is Hellenistic Judaism. Right. Which is, it, it just folded into the Greco-Roman world and ceased to be an independent entity. Part of it went off into Christianity and the rest of it just just melded. Like, I, I don't know. And, and the difference is that Hellenistic Judaism actually left a wealth of, of independent literature and thought which I don't see as much from American Jewry. American Jewry's greatest gifts, the first greatest accomplishment of American Jewry was Russian Jewry. Okay, it was the American Jews that 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 fought and released Russian Jews. And and I I don't know because the 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 role that American Jewry played in the early days of the state of Israel was not small. Right. And that came first. Okay, you know what? Fine, great. I like that. So 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 the help helping give birth to Israel. No doubt. Awesome. Russian Jewry was a great victory. It was a million Jews that were released. Sure. By well, the that was my that was my childhood. Right. That's Those right. were the formative That's right. I remember the March on Washington and all I that think great I think stuff. a few others are are the creation of Yeshiva University, the creation of the Chabad Empire. I think also another creation, which is the art, art scroll and that world of Torah, which, which has now been brought over into Israel on a much sure, bigger scale. But, but like that idea that- Here's a question there. for you. Because another thing that came up for me, as long as I'm sitting here in, in, in the Pardes Institute, um, is has American Jewry succeeded in creating a, a viable secular Jewish culture that, 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 um, that can make the jump to here? Right, because there's an interesting phenomenon happening here in the land of Israel, where you know it used to be secular in in state of Israel meant like nothing, no anti-religious, you know, like the old school socialist Marxists. You know. That's not what it means anymore. It has become what a friend of mine, Israeli friend of mine, calls datlaf, right, right. dati lifamim, 
It's like people want uh, the a la carte Judaism. I'll take this right. and I'll do that. And or, on my or, own terms. or another way of saying it is that that's, I mean, there's there's a little critique in that, but another way of saying it is that they want some some role in it. They yeah. feel that they want some Judaism in their life, right, even though they might drive on the Shabbat, but they right, want... And they don't want the power structure, right. and they don't want the all or nothing. So I'm just curious if they're... Because cause I see in my eyes often some of the best of American Jewry of of the non orthodox American jury here in Pardes, sure, vibrant, engaged, right. you know, deep questions, you know, learning. The problem that it doesn't it doesn't rest on, on on strong foundations, and so it cracks. A much better model, for example, is Chabad, that gives you that opportunity to come to synagogue or whatever it is. Or, by the way, another version of that is a very old one is the Sephardic synagogue. Where the Sephardic synagogue, you still, I have seen, I have been to many Sephardic synagogues where you see a guy with an absurd haircut wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And then when they lift up the Torah, uh, uh, you know, you know and, and it says, you know, uh, he, they, it's like, I've seen how they look at their, like, this is the Torah that Moses brought down from Sinai and gave to us, okay? Right. So, like... They're looking uh, at it as if it was that one. That, that, that's one right the there. Torah. <laughs> I mean, but that, you know what I mean? And, and with, a, with a full, full belief and probably going out that night to, to party, you know, that, that Friday night. But, like, there are, there are other ways of saying that. I think that Israelis, what they don't like in the conservative reform movement so much is that they don't feel that it's authentic. They prefer to be a non-observant orthodox person. Right, the shul I don't go to is orthodox. Right, like, okay, so like, the, but if I have a nice rabbi who's not a, uh, like, uh, like, like all or nothing person, who's happy to see me when I do come in, then they'll, they'll be connected to that. They're not so into a new, uh, see, here's the thing about America. It creates religions. That's what I figured out. Yeah. Mormonism, Scientology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh, you just lump Mormonism and Scientology together. Okay, the, to me, they're like these, these created things and they are invented religions of America. And by the way, Soros Reform and Conservative may have come from Germany. Yeah, but I was they, say they came from Germany. Okay, yeah, but, but, but it's... But the it's conservative t- movement is American Judaism. Right, it's, it's, an, it's a created American thing, which is cool in its own way, but it, it, won't, it, won't, it won't make it's the jump. It's question of viability, okay. It won't make I the guess, jump. I guess time will tell. Time will tell, time will tell. Okay, here we go. We, Speak of time. Uh, yeah, we're doing great here. Let's get to the... Uh, you, you know what, what really unites us? Is, is there... Is there uh, is there an image that, 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 that we could all put into our heads? You know, one of the great successes of, of Christendom to me was the obviously uh, Jewish PR guy, marketing guy that worked for it, okay? Because I always think that the cross is one of the most brilliant, brilliant icons ever created because with one little thing that you can create with two sticks is the whole story. He died on the cross for your sins. That whole thing, and with one shot, and you could wear it, you could put it on top of your church. It's like it's like sacrifice. <laughs> You're so enthusiastic. It, I, wish, no, I wish we would see your face. It's just it's just so smart. It's just like wow. It's like a it's like a plus sign, and like within that is the whole tale. Well, there's an interesting history because that was not the original sign of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Original sign was the fish. Uh huh. Right. Right. They have because, these, uh, mixed well, well, so long as the Roman Empire was still actually crucifying people, right. this was not. This was not a symbol <laughs> that people were going to get behind. Right? It, it, it actually took until around the time of Constantine in the in the, around the right. fourth century when okay. that when that symbol. You're became right. It's dominant. not such a, right. If, if it's, it's, it's a tough to, sell when you can see people like in the marketplace, right. strung up. Yeah. But still, though, do you see what? No, I'm I hear saying? your point. Sure. Now, now look at the Islamic sign, the crescent moon. Well, what's that exactly? I don't know. Yeah, so moon, it's kind of a little bit too insider. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Now Judaism, we as usual don't have one 
You we know, have no what, single symbol. Right. What is the single symbol? Is it Star of David, for those who, who would want to say that, is a very late comer right, so it's to Star Jewish of David. It's, it's, and it was also used by Islam. Star of David is not like Israel. It's a universal symbol, as it's was a, the cross. Okay. Okay. In, the tree of life is a very old symbol. Okay. The tree. What? what it's, it's, it's called often in, in sort of secular symbology, right, as, as a pagan symbol. I mean, the cross is a natural symbol. Right. Like you pointed out, you just put two sticks together, boom, you right, have it. Right, you have it. Right? right. Um, and there are a lot of questions in terms of how the cross became the symbol. Like I said, there were earlier. The Cairo was um was actually in time of Constantine. That was the symbol he saw in his dreams. And like there's a there's a backstory, but you are correct that the settling on that symbol, however it happened, its power is in its iconography that you can. It tells the whole story the whole in a tale. single. One, so, one, so what do you got for us? We need to work on right. this. We don't, now, we don't have one like that. We don't have a, we're we, the we Jews. Have, we're the Jews. We have, a, we have a lot of different narratives, a lot of different stories, a lot of different... We're tribal we, we're 12 people. tribes, exactly. We're, we're not like... We don't do... And by the way, that's our one of our issues today is that we don't do message discipline. I always no, tell people, for sure people, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like, our central book, the Talmud, is a book of argumentation. Yeah. From the we're, get-go, we're, we're not- Even a, when we decided who was right, we kept all the other voices in there just right. because. It's like a book of arguments. Meaning to say, uh, argument is our thing, which is not message discipline. No. But if there is one- On the other hand. If there is one that you have to, and, and let's think about it for a second, why, why it fits so well, it's the menorah. Yes. The menorah is the one. True. That's, that's the one. Certainly post-1948, it's been branded into the world consciousness as a Jewish symbol. I think it was always that. I think the menorah, you've also, there's a lot of findings of inscriptions of menorahs. Sure, the, sure. the menorah is Ancient a- Ancient tombs. Right. The, the Titus's arch. Right. You know. The menorah. Yeah. That's the Jews. By True. the way, think about it. It makes perfect sense. What I just said, that it's a- it's a it's a very multifaceted people that don't agree. It's seven branches. Right. It's seven branches. It's not one branch. It's not one light. It's a right. seven branch thing. And just to make it difficult, we also have one that's eight. That's right. Actually we, nine. That's right. We do that. <laughs> by the way, look at Shin. Shin is Shin with three or four. Right. Uh, like we do that. Yeah. Uh, how many commandments are there? Six thirteen. Well, I've seen versions that say there's six twelve. And and how many blessings in the Shemona Right. Right. Nineteen. Eighteen. Nineteen. <laughs> we do that. That's okay. That's our that's, Jewish thing. That's like the eyes. You know, they don't see exactly in the same angle. They see like a little bit offset. That's the way we do it. All right. Any it's case, a rich world. Right. It, it it just it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't want to lend itself even. It doesn't even it doesn't even yearn to lend itself into a neat package. It's not like that. It's, it's just, not what the world is. It's not it's not the world. It's not the Jewish world. So you know, for example, some. Sometimes Christian friends will come over or something and they'll be like, wow, you guys are, you know, you guys are argumentative. Or, or I say, that is our peoplehood. That's the way we do it. And it's not going to be in a, in a kind of clean, clean line of... of uh, Listen, I have a suspicion that anyone who thinks that creation is straightforward is a little bit dangerous. Right. That's right. That's absolutely correct. That's right. He, yeah. he, that person, and he's going to hit a brick wall yeah. of some kind somewhere. Yeah. Because he doesn't have, you know, the, uh, but by the way, another related thing to that is humor. Like you see uh-huh. that Islam, which is like this kind of like, yeah, very, uh, very, uh, you know, driving straight force. It hits walls when it can't, de- and it has no way of laughing. They never ca- laugh they at kill itself. Cartoonists, right? They, 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 they just you could. See, I speak to them and I talk to them about them. They don't, they don't even understand how to process something through laughter, through understanding that it's conflicted. And that, and I, they, they, they detest conflict, and they want to somehow suppress it. Reconcile. Into, right. Okay, anyway, so the Torah, this Torah portion tells us to make a menorah. Okay, it tells us, and it's a confusing bit about how to make the menorah. Um, and one of the things that, that it ends off with, after trying to explain it to us, is that, is that God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, 
He says, Do it according to their form, which you are shown here on the mountain. Rashi says, God showed it to him in a menorah of fire. He couldn't. Even Moshe at the end was like, wait, God, wait, seven, wait how did that what, look? Uh, yeah, what, it was straight, it was a curved, like, right. kafto, ferach, and like, right. it's, I can't a, get it, I can't, I can't get, get it. it. It's, it's a little, it, it, it's, a, it's even defies imagination per se. Yeah. And, and, on some level, it's the um, blueprint for the blueprint parsha. Meaning, meaning, you go ahead and try to picture what it is that God is asking us to build out of the details here, and it is overwhelming. At the same time, don't forget that behind this physical building that God is asking us to build is the architecture of the universe. Right. It's the reason that our sages learn all the laws of the Sabbath from the very architecture of the Mishkan. Is the Mishkan is a microcosm of the divine will as revealed in creation. And, and so God says, listen, you're, you, there's only one way you're going to get that. Here, take a look. Boom, here's the picture. And that's why these parshiot are so important, even though one would think we're never going to use them again. It's not like the laws of, of Kashrut or the laws of the sacrifices that please God will use again. We're not building this again. you know. But nevertheless, it's the blueprint for the whole story. And the blueprint is going to include also, and we're not going to touch on it today, it's going to include the outer walls, the, the various sockets that create the outer walls, the various three or four tops, okay, the top covers, the covers, the cover that you see, the cover that, that I don't know, keeps the warmth in kind of, and then another like... like Rain l- cover. Rain cover, like a leathery cover made out of maybe unicorn. Unicorn fish. Unicorn fish, whatever. And then <laughs> it's very, very colorful. There's a lot of beautiful... There's colorations. There's a lot of interwoven fabrics, it's sometimes three, sometimes fantastic. four. It's a fantastic coloration. It's something really... Fa- it's fantastic call. It's like, woo! You know what I mean? Uh, within that, we're going to also learn today about uh, the table, the showbread table. Not showgun, but showbread table. And then uh, we're also going to learn about the the outer altar, the outer right. altar, the outer altar, the outer altar, the outer altar. Okay, which is which is the altar that really, as opposed to the golden inner altar, which we're not going to learn about in this week's Torah portion. I think nope. uh, we're we're going to learn about the outer altar, which is the sacrificial altar, really, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the incense altar. Uh, and and it comes also with an accoutrement of. Uh, <laughs> of of uh, of utensils, okay, yes. and, and, and this altar with a complete set of utensils. That's right, and and it's and it's and it's and it's also going to be stable. It's going to be a stable thing when when you erect it. It is something to erect and to put down. It is a fill it with dirt. Right, tamp it, it down. Right, right. You fill the the innards of the of the uh, mizbeach of the altar with dirt. But in general, I meant to say the whole tabernacle is oh, yeah, this yeah. thing that 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 very. Stability is a big part of it. For example, there, there's going to be a bar that's going to go through the pillars. The Bariah HaTichon. The, the central kind of uh, bar of great term also, Bariah HaTichon. Tichon, like if you know Hebrew, like Yam HaTichon is the Mediterranean, uh, a water within Terra, like a med inside, Terra inside the land. So too, it's called in Hebrew, Tichon, the inner, inner sea. sea. And so too, there's an inner bar that's going to go through all these, you're not even going to see it. And uh, the Kabbalists love that term. It's just like every time I hear the word, I read the word this morning, it came up in the parsha, the 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 Bariah Hatichon. It's like right, right. It's always that middle line that we're the, seeking. In the, life. C- the center line. That's right. That's right. And you'll you'll meet people like when we told our, some friends of ours who are on the Kabbalistic scale, we said to them, you know, our son's name is Israel David Mordechai. They go, oh, Kava Emtza. 
Yeah. <laughs> that is. Oh, my like, gosh. Right. Did you do that on purpose? No, no, not at all. They're like, oh, Kava Emsel. He's got the Kava Emsel. I'm like, yep, yep. Oh, sure. Anyway, so this Torah portion is the Blueprint Torah portion, and we're going to get next week to some more tour, uh, Blueprint Torah portions when we deal with the dress of the priests inside this thing. And for a while now, we're going to be dealing with, and we're going to try on the show here to continue to find the the uh, religious duties that we could find through that, the philosophical understandings. The relevance of what could appear to be arcane and ancient details to life as it's lived now. Now we're going to take 10 minutes, really not more, uh, at this part of the show. You are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. Rabbi Mike Foyer is my guest. We're at the Pardis Institute. We're in Jerusalem. You're with us wherever you are, and you're listening to the Land of Israel Network with many other great shows. Um, I want to remind people about Tchelet. It's a great time within these Torah portions is Tchelet. Uh, that's some of the stuff that's woven into the uh, walls of, of the of, of the tabernacle and also next week we'll be lear- learning a lot about Chelet, about the clothing of the high priest yep go to Chelet, t-e-k-h-e-l-e-t dot com and get your true blue juice string which uh really has been missing for thousands of years and has now miraculously returned to our to our uh, uh, understanding miraculously but credit where credit is due also through the hard work of some very dedicated 100 percent. that 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 is the miracle i understand that I just, is the miracle i also wanted to say right no you're a- no you're absolutely right and i believe that also very much didn't fall from the sky uh did not fall from the sky it, it came through yagata vimatsata yeah. uh, through hard work and you, it, it shall be found and the real belief that that nothing is if it is god's will that we use a part of the world to serve, then it will never be lost forever. I have a feeling that if some enterprising person would take upon himself to find the tomb of the of Nachmanides, he'll find it. This, I, this I, it bothers you. me. It this bothers me because he was he was buried here a hundred years after the Rambam. And we know where the Rambam's tomb is, the Maimonides tomb. And ironically, of course, the Rambam would prefer we didn't know where his tomb was, whereas I think the Ramban would be into it. Why do you say that? Because I don't think the Rambam would be into people visiting his tomb. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's, don't a, that's a good so. question. But, but that, that's an interesting thing. But Nachmanides is, is missing, and he's missing in action. He's MIA. But you can see the Rambam, the Ramchal, and Rebbe Akiva all in all, a short space of time. So. That's right. All the Tveria. Yeah. And there's a likelihood, there's not a small likelihood, there's a good likelihood because of a piece of text that the Ramban left that he's buried in Hebron. So for ah, us, there's a, there's a, there's an added an added there. incentive, right? Okay. Uh, the reason I want to take us uh, uh, to, to to pause and to start something else is because we're also today Rosh Chodesh Adar. We're, we're at, that's right. Whoopee! We are entering <laughs> into uh, the season of of uh, of Megillat Esther and Purim. The problem is every year a lot of things happen and then we like hit the text it too late every single year, right? And this year I said to myself with the two Adars, we've got to get into this book. You said self. We got to do the Megillah. We got to do this right. We got to right. what? Self, you said I said to myself. Yes, I said self. to myself. We got to do the Megillah. All right, let's do, do it. Megillah. But I'm before up. we I'm hit the, the text of the Megillah, let's, let's ste- step outside for a second. The 10,000 foot view. Right. The, the Megillah is a super amazing, very exciting, very dramatic tale. It but, is also the crown jewel of the entire Tanakh, the right. Bible. But it is also a very problematic text. God is missing from it. It's a book not about the land of Israel or having to do with the land of Israel. Yes. There seems to be no real service of God per se. Um, More service to the king than anything else. Or right, service of the self. Right. And, and uh, it, it's, it's a total outlier in the Tanakh. Moreover, in that sense, moreover, it is, it is a, the, the last of the books of the, of the Tanakh or amongst the last of the books of the Tanakh. It's sealed you, very late. 
Uh, I mean, when was it written? As yeah, opposed to what's it about? Yeah, yeah. When is it written? It's it's Dante Knesset the Girl are going to be its redactors. Sure, and <clears throat> and not only that, but the, it's controversy within the Gemara whether it's considered a sacred book or not. That's right. There's a there was there was a fight to keep it in the sacred book. So much so, when we look in the Dead Sea Scrolls and from the Qumran community, the only book of the Hebrew Bible that's not represented there is the Book of Esther. Right. Which we see that there was a group of Jews who broke the other way in the argument in the Gemara. Right. So, so, so the book of Esther was not counted amongst the canon yes. for some. And moreover, here's another weird thing. Moreover. In the Septuagint, Ooh. The, it's translated, the Septuagint is generally considered a pretty accurate translation uh, with some changes, but mostly an accurate translation. Famously, in Psalm 145, there is the translation of the missing verse with the nun. Mm. Okay, the Septuagint has that. Another thing that the Septuagint has is more text about Megillat Esther. And there's another text of Megillat Esther called yes. the Alpha Text. Yeah, there's, all, there's a bunch there's of There's more stuff. stuff. And it's like, and, and Mordechai has a dream, and God tells him stuff, and God is in there. And so what's, what's going on? And on the other hand, our sages are telling us to treat this book with utmost, with utmost perfection. With utmost, every word must be heard on Purim. Not one word missing. Yeah. Not only that, but the Rambam codifies lehalacha in Jewish law that the at, that when the Mashiach comes, that there will be only the only books remaining in their significance will be the five books of the Torah and Megillah Esther, and everybody jumps on him. Like what? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what? That's it. He says all we will need is the five books of the Torah, Megillah Esther, and of course. My book, the Mishnah Torah, but that's a different issue. <laughs> that's a practical question. Um, but it was, which you see, the 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 um, it, which is an echo of the fact that that the Gemara itself says that um, that all the holidays in the future will be nullified, except for there's two opinions, except for Yom Kippur and Purim, and the other one is just except for Purim. There's something about this day which is fundamentally different. That is just wild. I love it. That is just, just wild. Is I wild. love it. I love it. It's wild. I'm feeling it's the poor energy right yeah. now. Be careful. That's what I'm saying. I wanted to get started this year uh, earlier. And by the way, just so you know, in the Fleischer home, for example, when my wife wanted to give me a present for my 40th birthday, she got me a Megillat to stare. You know what I mean? And, that's and, a nice present. Yeah, it was beautiful. It's really, it's like we don't have a lot of stuff like that, but that's like- Yeah, a, I, don't have a, I don't have one yet. I don't, I don't have, you know, one. we don't have one of those. Next time, I want one of those silver etrog things. You know, I think about but, that. But I'm then, not so into it. It's like- but I get the to carry. yeah, and I get the big etrog, so it's not going to work. So forget it. I just want the Megillat Esther. But I, I just did like to buy hold my. I like to hold my citrus. Yes, I like to hold my citrus. Okay, fine. I'm not. That's not the title of the show. But anyway, <laughs> so 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 let's just let's just. I think we're also low on time today, and also just wanted to get that uh, that that uh, mile, mile high perspective. Yeah, just get the excitement. What do you so like like about those things? Like like how is it that on the one hand there's these other texts. How is it that it's missing? How is it that the Talmud will say, some people will say this shouldn't even be in the canon? Yeah. And it's, then it's treated with, with, with this kind of perfected. We believe that every word of the Torah is perfect and exact. And that's the way the, way the Megillah is treated as well. And famously, well, God's, it's the way the God's, is, God's name is not even in there. Right. Ostensibly. It's the way the Megillah is treated when it's read publicly. And I think that, that um, if I were going to characterize the Megillah, there's two things. First of all, Megillah is the bridge between the world of the Torah Shabbat and the world of the Torah Shabbat. And it's the bridge between the written 
tradition of what it is to be Am Yisrael in the world and the oral tradition. And that's why it's very clear in the Gemara that the men of the Great Assembly, as you already referred to, were the authors of the, of the Megillah. And that was in response to Esther saying to them, you know, right? you got to write down this story. And them saying, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make the nations angry. This is not a pretty story, Esther. And she said, like, they already know. It's written in their books. we got to write it down, too. So you see that this was the ultimate expression of the realization by our spiritual leadership of the significance of the historical context within they found themselves and the decision to extract out of that local historical context some eternal message. You understand what I'm saying? As opposed to sure. the Torah, which is you know exists before creation. Right. And if anything, history is a reflection of the Torah and not vice versa. Right. This is the other end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. which is that this could have just gone in like another salvation and 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 in fact that was the sages pushing back saying, listen, like it's not that important a story. And Esther saying, no, 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 there's something critical here. And and the other piece, and then I'll let you respond is that I think that the real answer is that the 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 Gemara says Esther Sof Kol Hanisim. Right, the Esther is the end of all the miracles. And they ask why is she called Ayelet Shachar? Why is she the, the doe of the dawn? Because she's just like the dawn comes after the dark, so too Esther comes after all the miracles. Now, you know what that means? Do the syllogism. If the dawn comes after the dark, Esther comes after the miracles. That means the miracles are? Done. Darkness. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Miracles of darkness. And that there's a particular light that can only come into the world when God is not there. Mm-hmm. And that, by the way, go all the way back to the beginning of the show we were speaking about. We said, oh yeah, God said, build me a mishkan and I'll dwell amongst you. And even though you're imperfect and you're impure and I'll still be there. And that's what Yom Kippur is about and that's what the mishkan's about. But it never says why. And I don't want to reveal the answer now, but I want people to think about the fact that that the the book of Esther answers why. All this idea, though, God's not there and it seems like so silly and all this parties and like why these people, you know, drinking and feasting and like, like, what is this? What is this? What's the message here? It's because there's a particular light which can only come into the world when God's not there. Mm-hmm. And it's that divine within the human which is the reason for creation. Right? So, so I'll, I'll leave it at that and we'll explore it as we go on through the story. But just remember that, to me, that's the 10,000 foot view of the Megillah. Mm-hmm. Is that there's some light in there it's not an accident that God's not there. It's not some reflection of a, a, you know, a secularization of Jewish culture. And it's not an adoption of some sort of idolatrous practice of feasting in the spring and all these things. Yeah, sure, fine. But don't confuse mechanism and meaning. Don't, uh, don't misunderstand the vehicle with the content. There's a light in there which is only available through those mechanisms. So I'm going to leave it at that. I mean, when you talk about darkness... And this is another sub theme, but like, but like the theme of the day of darkness is the Holocaust. Oh yeah, and that's like a there's a theme there of the Holocaust that wasn't, and a little dig deeper, and there's the theme of the Holocaust that was. Oh yeah, and and Haman, this this incredible Hitler type character, uh, and propagandist, by the way. By the way, one of the things we're really struggling with, and this is again a split between American and Israeli Jewry. Jewry. What was the light that came out of the Holocaust? There were people who will tell you no light, nothing. Right. I refuse. No, to No, no. The light, the light of the of the of the so-called liberal world is that we all understood that there's a little Nazi in every single one of okay, us. Okay, so, so we can argue about what the light is, but the, but the truth of the matter is, is our generation is the first generation I think that will have the real task of beginning to extract the light out of that darkness, and the Megillah will be our guide. 
I read uh, a, a different Megillah. I'm reading a book by Ronan Bergman, who is uh, the f- most uh, famous and in-depth author of the history of the Mossad and targeted assassinations. I read this, this new book. What's it called? Uh, it's called The Rise and Kill First. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ronan Bergman. Now, he is... Frankly speaking, he is a hard left person. Mm-hmm. I know him. I know his writings, and you could see it inside this book. While it is factually accurate, his spin, his framing of his it, framing yeah. of it is 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 hard left. Just when it comes to, by the way, the Judean Samaria question. Just when it comes to the Six Day War and 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 this and everything for the Mossad did he, that it was completely legitimate and necessary. Not that it's even legitimate. He like understands it. You know, he he, he yeah, like, gets yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He can't. He doesn't get it. But anyway, he just talks about Mayor Dagan. Who is this one of these legendary fighters and the head of the Mossad or well, well, lieutenant of Mossad? I forgot which he one. Was the head, uh, the head of the Mossad. He just talks about who this guy was. And he says, when they lined up his town and his family to be shot and, and thrown into ditches, when they were shooting people a split second before they shot him, he like dumped, jumped into the people pit of the, of the dead right. of the dead, while his family bled their brains out on him. Right. He faked it. Right. And then he crawled out of there. When night fell, right. Right, when night fell. Uh, you know. Just note to self, what does life look like after that? Right. And, and, and what and, are you willing to do right, in order to defend to it? Right, and to make sure that never happens again. Yeah. Which, by the way, is surprising that somebody even wants that. Maybe somebody has a death wish. Maybe For he has sure. that, that guilt of surviving and all that. Choosing life from that position is actually right. the, the light that I'm speaking about. Right. So, so... <laughs> You know, just that image, I was just like, and then he survived another few times in, in not very dissimilar fashions, being caught by whatever, but like, you know, you're like, whoa, <laughs> like these are the guys that, that went out there. And then when, when, when pretty much, when pretty much it happened kind of again at Munich yeah, uh, at the 72 Olympics, they went out after every single one of those terrorists, yeah, and 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 destroyed them, or anybody had uh, had any had anything to do with that with the, with that with that awful uh, terrorist act. Yeah, powerful stuff. All right, folks, this is uh, Adar, and we are in Purim, and the victory at the end is uh, is of of gods, of goodness, of of ours, of of the light, and but that light is indeed challenged, like we learned in Yitro. That part of the thing is when you read the Megillah is since there is a Haman, that is also maybe that's what you're alluding to is that that darkness itself is is itself a uh, a proof of the light. It's well, a, but just remember that in our world, we don't see light because of light. We see it because of contrast. Mm-hmm. Without the darkness, we can't see it. And, and so there's there's a, a very important, I mean, just the picture. If I, old flash bulb, put off a huge flash bulb in this room right now and flooded it with light, would that help you see better? No. No, you'd be blind. Right. All right, folks. You are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. I want to thank you. I want to thank Rabbi Mike Foer for this elucidating and interesting and fascinating talk and getting us really into the spirit of Adar. I am psyched for Adar. You're psyched for Adar. I'm feeling it. You're feeling it. And next week, we're also going to delve into the text, hopefully, and start to really uh, understand what the what the Megillah is about and, and trying to understand its eternal secrets. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to the Maka Fleischer half, which is coming next. I'll be trying to record that uh, tonight, I also want to thank Ben Bresky and Moshe, Herman, and Tabitha for helping getting this show out in the world. I want to also speak of ways that people can contact you, which is Mike at thelandofisrael.com, facebook.com forward slash Mike. Thank you, Mike Zuckerberg, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, and also your website, which is the Jewish Story. Not the, the Jewish Jewish story. Story. Co. 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 Okay, jewishstory.co. 
and uh, great content coming out of there. And I want to thank all the other hosts here in the land of Israel.com. I want to thank God Almighty for this awesome, awesome opportunity to, to talk about his tabernacle, his mikdash, and his processes of redemption that are happening right now. And happy Rosh Chodesh, everybody. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Rabbi Mike, Shabbat Shalom, and thanks. Shabbat Shalom. Good Chodesh. Good bless, everybody. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. We'll be right back. Shalom. The Land of Israel Network presents the Israel-inspired retreat, Rosh Chodesh Adar Bet, a three-night event by the Dead Sea, Thursday through Sunday, March 7th through March 10th, 2019. Spend an unforgettable Shabbat with your hosts, Ari and Shana Abramowitz, Yishai and Malka Fleischer, Jeremy and Tehila Gimpel, and special guests at the five-star Royal Dead Sea Resort. Uplifting prayers, dynamic lectures, inspiring Torah, one-on-one meetings with the hosts, a special women's program, children's camp and babysitters, guided meditation on the beach, live music and entertainment, exciting hikes and excursions. For more information, visit our special website, thelandofisrael.travel. That's thelandofisrael.travel for the Israel-inspired retreat at the Dead Sea. Shalom, everybody, and welcome back to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from rainy Judea on this uh, just a little bit after Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph, the first of Adar. And I'm joined by our beloved Malka Fleischer. Shalom and welcome. Shalom and thank you. Thank you for... Jo- oh, thank you. Yes, I'm recording. Everything's good. Thanks, Shane. Yeah. I can just look down at the recorder and make sure that it's all right. It's all good. Yes, okay. We're okay. We're okay. It is late Plus night. Plus, you have a head cold. I have a, I have a slightly... We won't hold it against you. I, yeah. On the last half, there was... Uh, careful listeners could have heard a little bit of wheezing there Ooh, a little bit. Really? Yeah. Really? Careful listeners would hear your wheezing? I, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, because because listeners. because because our beloved careful listeners are, are very close to us. I'm very careful. I'm very careful. I also want to tell you, Malka, that um, I was too magnanimous, and uh, two, the the five of our listeners will be getting a copy of the Key of Rain. Whoa! Mike's book. Yeah. yeah, I'm. Why I'm, they all wrote in? Uh, well, yeah, because they all knew that it was they. Yeah, five five of them knew that it was the Holy Grail and Princess Bride that we <laughs> quoted. Separately and uh, and uh, well, there you go. So so wow, five people, that's yeah. exciting. It is yeah. really good. Yeah, and I'm I'm taking the money out from the from your. Uh, but did they read the first one? K or something? No. What? Did they did they read the first book? That's really not the that issue. You got. But wait, it's important. You you claim to care about these people. <sighs> it's important to read the first book first, otherwise you'll be confused. It doesn't stand on its own. I can't really say because I read the first book first. I'm I'm tainted, but the first book is like gets you going on the story. The first book is very good. So the second book is insanely good. Okay, but so the first book is very good. You got to read it. I think Rabbi Mike said that they stand on their own. And moreover, if somebody would like gets the second book, you know what? Maybe I'll like have ask. Maybe we a, should. Yeah. Maybe I'll ask another simpleton question. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, speaking of uh, tainted, as you said, let's talk about the uh, political results recently. Some of them really. Wait, good. why does that so, have to do with tainted? 
I don't know, people are cynical about politics. But but truth of, truth of the matter is we're talking here about Israel's leading party, which had its primaries uh, yesterday. Yes. You are a member of that I'm leading party. I'm a card carrying, although I don't actually have a card. So I'm a digitally signed up member of the Likud party. I have to tell you, I was a, I was a shtickle jealous of you. So it's interesting. I would like to rewind a little bit. I'm like, say, I'm like, she's part of the big party. I'm why part of the big why party. am I not part of the big party? Because back in the day when we all signed up for stuff, we decided that on the one hand, we're like right-wing nationalist Israelis and we want to vote with the right-wing nationalist Israeli party. I think that when I signed up, it was way back when Moshe Faglin said that everyone should sign up for the Likud party yep. so that they could help him get into the Likud. You voted back then as well. And you, I did you that. You voted and in I the voted. primaries yes, four I voted years in ago. those primaries. I remember that. Um, that was even more than four years ago. Yeah, that was even more. That was even more. You went, uh, you went, you went to Bienna Uma. Yes, and I stood in the line, and then I had to pick up the kids, and it was the whole thing, and I was running late. I remember that very well. But and that was a cool experience standing at Binyan Oma, which is a big, big uh, convention center in Jerusalem. Um. Anyway, so so it's always been like a politics is so funny here in Israel because there, I guess it's the case in a lot of countries in America too. But a lot of identity is tied up with whatever political party that you're a member of. So becoming a member of the Likud party was kind of a question mark for me because it's a little more centrist often than what I consider myself to be possibly a little bit more secular than what i consider myself to be right um i oftentimes like to vote more you know religiously inclined and more nationalist inclined but i figured that you know you can become a member of a party and then you can influence that party right and then uh, during election time you can vote for whoever you want and or, the real or, truth or vote for that party or vote for that party include right. yes that party or whoever you want mm -hmm. and the truth is that over the last um administration you and I, and really quite a lot of uh, right-wing people, have been pretty happy um, with the way that Prime Minister Netanyahu has run the government. Um, he managed to stave off a lot of craziness with one of our favorite uh, bygone villains, Barack Hussein Obama, the former president of the United States. And he also maintains an excellent relationship with the current American administration, um, so it's, and we've seen the, the Jerusalem but, but, embassy come but up. But then again, but then again, but then again, also allowed, uh, Gaza to kind of attack us. Yes. Mercilessly. Well, not, did not just get that. Rid of See, Al Ahmar allowed also yes. some more, uh, Iranian, um, uh, encroachment into South Lebanon. I mean, meaning to say I am happy in, yes. in many ways, but then there's he's other not, ways. He's, he's definitely not perfect. Also, the, um, also his, his great success in, in the international, yes. on the one hand, Israel's become a much more kind of uh, has great relationship with international regimes, countries. But at the same time, the the whole anti-Israel world has also at the same time metastasized. Well, I think that part of that is a reaction to the fact that Netanyahu is so strong um, and that he like makes them gnash their, their teeth. I don't think that people have suddenly become anti-Israel who weren't over the course of the uh, Netanyahu administration, although I can't really say. Um, but anyway, the, the whole uh, being part of Likud has been been like, um, I've, I still maintain the right to vote for whoever I want to, even though I do like the Likud party, and I did go to vote for um, the primaries. And 
many, many of my my votes um, are found in the top part of the list. Well, that means that either your vote was worth much more than anybody yes. else's, or it means <laughs> that I was that thinking you, like other like Likud a, people. Right. And that made me happy too. When I look at the list and I see that the the other Likud party members really chose some of the more right-wing, strong Likud uh, options, I was happy. There were some people who did. So let's go through the top Wait, 10 list. before you go through the list, yes. I want to tell you, there was a shocking article today oh. in the Jerusalem Post yeah. with an absolutely not excellent title of All Likuds, All Likud MKs Eyeing Re-Election But Netanyahu or but being yeah. say not Netanyahu favor West Bank annexation. Oh, and out of thirty Likud members who hold Knesset seats, twenty-eight have made statements or signed a declaration in support of the application of sovereignty in Judea wow. and Samaria. Wait, tell us more about that. Okay, so so this is an article written by Tova Lazarov, and Tova Lazarov is not known in, in the right wing circles as being a card carrying nationalist okay. she, she but this article wow uh, basically says out of 30 Likud members who hold Knesset seats 28 have made statements so- or signed declaration in support of the application of sovereignty in Judea and Samaria the only one who has not been vocal on the issue aside from Netanyahu is Benny Begin who has no plans to return to the Knesset in the next government uh Yoav Galant a Likud, me- uh, a, a Likud member who has uh, who was a Knesset member in the last government but has since si- resigned his seat also also supports annexation uh, and they just list, um, a, 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 they list the Knesset members, and they say on Wait, Tuesday. Who are they? Name them. Name some of them. On Tuesday, two right wing groups, the Sovereignty Movement, that's Najim Matar and Nahala, released data on the sovereignty stance of the right wing politician, who combined who, which combined show the thirty one percent of MKs, which is thirty eight of one hundred twenty Knesset members, today in the Knesset support some form of West Bank annexation. Okay, this includes also all the members of the former Bayt Yehudi, as well as Michael Oren of Kulanu, and Yoav Bensur of Shas. Um, um, and basically, it's everybody that you, in the Likud, it's almost everybody. Wow. It's almost all the folks that you kind of voted for, they mm-hmm. all want to see... Wait, name some of them so we can be Israel Katz, Yariv Levine, Zev Elkin, Gilad Erdan, Ophira Kunis, Miri Regev, Tzachia Negbi, Gila Gamliel, Ayub Kara, They've signed the platform saying there should be annexation. They've even signed on to this thing. So I think I voted for almost every one of those people. Right, right. On so, that list. So, so basically, we're t- basically today's uh, today's ruling party. Now, I, right now, two of my colleagues, yes. my good friend Jake, and my colleague Gidon, are right now in. Uh, both both are good friends, and both are colleagues. I, yeah. I just I just wanted to use a different uh, term for each one. They're right now in Washington, D.C., right now, trying to get more uh, American congressmen to understand that actually this is where Israel is at. This article oh, that's itself- it, that the Jews want annexation. Right, and this article came as like a, as like a, wow. as like a gift, and I, I sent to them immediately, I'm like, print this out. And First thing out. you do, just hand it, put it, just put it down on the pay table. Just be like, this is what's going on. Right, this is where This is what's going on. And these are only the people who had the bravery to be the first ones to say it. Meaning to say, there will be more. There will most likely be more people who are going to be willing to support. So you that. voted. You're voting the the Likud now. Now the cynics, okay, can say, yeah, but the Likud is the party that did the disengagement. The Likud right. is so the party the that has are yeah. The cynics are include the not just the cynics but the opposition. 
Um, so I don't know how much all you guys are following politics, but the major player on the scene opposing the prime minister is Benny Gantz, a former chief of staff of the IDF. Chief of staff is a weird word. He's the he's the. The, That's the, what this is called. The I know, IDF chief I mean, of staff. I know, but it's it's the number one general. The number one general, right. the guy with the finger on the button. Okay, right. He's the no, he's, he's not the guy with the finger on the button. He's the guy who gets told to put to push the button. Okay, he's 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 the guy who he's the guy that makes all the wars nice and explodey. Okay, right. he's, he's the, the one number who one sends soldier. the troops around and he does all the right. the the nitty gritty stuff that Israel relies on um, to survive, and that's why he's even a candidate at all right? right because he's a he's a big general um in Israel. and this is this is part of israel's past that like these big generals jump into politics right afterwards. he's by far not the first uh israeli army general to to go to politics and lo and behold he leans to the so-called left he leans to the left which is always something that i find to be difficult isha i gotta be honest with you you would think that like our number one warriors like our grisly uh scar battle scarred uh, Jews would be the most nationalist and the most right wing, and they're like almost unanimously not. And I always, I always wonder about that. He gave an interview uh, that might give a little bit of insight. His first interview, he's the head of this party they're calling the Israel Resilience Party. So he gave his first interview, which was like a highly produced and crafted like softball. Where they brought in Shlomo Artsy, who's one of the like most famed and beloved Israeli performers, and some uh, and some comedian. I can't remember his name. It's it's here. What is his name? Daum. His last name is uh, Hanoch Daum, a, a comedian. I'm not familiar with his work. So they sat down with him for like a total soft pitch um, interview, and basically. They started talking about all kinds of issues, and it came to the Gaza expulsion, what they call the Gaza disengagement, which happened in 2005 when Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, one of the IDF generals who ended up being a prime minister of Israel, and everyone was so excited that a big, strong, right-wing prime minister was going to come up. He was the guy who decided that Israel is going to unilaterally withdraw the Jewish community of Gush Katif from Gaza. There used to be 8,500 Jews living in Gaza, and he decided that we're going to extract all those people. Even though they didn't agree, they didn't want to go, and the Likud party did a vote, and the Likud party, his own party, decided they don't want it. The and people of the Likud the party, people of Likud you party, and I, were on buses to various places to right. convince Likud voters and right, and, and my Hebrew was so, you know, we moved to Israel in 2003, and I had the end of 2003, and this thing happened in the summer of 2005. I'd been here for like all of 10 minutes, and I remember these people inviting me into the living room of their house and like being so patient with me as I'm like slaughtering the Hebrew language, trying to explain to them why it's not a good idea for for Israel to go through with this thing. But anyway, we did in in a nutshell, right? It ended up being a a disaster of epic proportions. The people who were expelled suffered. We won the vote. We by won the far. vote. We won the vote, but but Ariel Sharon basically disregarded, disregarded it in That's a right. in an insane um, attack on democracy, basically, as just as insane as his attack on the people of Gush Katif, and and um, they were. They were extracted forcibly from their homes. Um, 
the people who went through that suffered all kinds of stress-related illnesses, very high rates of divorce, very high rates of uh, unemployment and things like that after it. It was a very bad scene. And then that's, that's already very bad, right? And the destruction of communities and incredibly demoralizing to the, to the country. It, it, was, it was so polarizing and it was devastating to, to everyone. And I don't think that even the people who supported it were very, very happy about it. It was not pretty and it was not fun and, and Israel did not enjoy this process. Um, and then we got Gaza. We got Hamas-controlled Gaza, basically. Fatah-controlled Gaza for like all of five seconds. And then Hamas staged a coup, took over Gaza, and now that's the Gaza we deal with. In fact, as we're recording this show tonight, um, there was a, a rocket siren that was um, alerted or whatever that was went turned off. on, that went off, um, and a rocket landed from Gaza in Israel, in a non-populated area, I think nobody was injured. But nonetheless, this is what we live with. We've been right. through wars uh, with Gaza since then. Uh, the IDF on the border. You know, we, we say that there are these, like, protests that happen on the border. But, but IDF soldiers who actually are stationed on the border, like, we engage in warfare on a weekly basis with these people and it's not publicized because i guess the people you know the powers that be don't want it to be publicized that we're basically in a protracted war with hamas on the border on a weekly basis through this quote-unquote great march of return anyway all of this is, is has to do with the gaza disengagement so the interviewers asked gantz how do you feel about this this uh, Gaza disengagement. He said, would you support something like the Gaza disengagement? And Gantz basically said, here's what he said in English. He said it in Hebrew, but it's, this is a translation. The disengagement was born of Israel's diplomatic policy. The parties involved got very high grades for managing to prevent a rift in the nation as they carried it out. So then the interviewer, the, com the comic, the comedian, Daum, says, so you're not saddened that we uprooted settlements from there? And he says, it was a, Gantz responds, it was a legal action. It was approved by the government of Israel and carried out by the IDF and the settlers with great pain, but done very well. We have to take its lessons and implement them in other places, right? So woo woo, all the right the right wing like sirens go off. Woo woo woo. This guy's like basically calling for us to use the lessons of disengagement somewhere else. What does that mean? So they're like, look, so Likud puts out a statement. And they're like, basically, we told you so. This Gantz, he's gonna go create you a left wing government. We gotta prevent him from from taking office. And of course, Naftali Bennett from the new right party is like, this is a horrible, you know what I mean? Everyone's like, this is horrible. This is horrible. This is Gantz. You can't vote for him. So then Gantz, who, who has taken forever to get on the public scene in terms of actual words, meaning to say everyone knows that he's running for office and he's this like mute basically, who, who smiles barely into but the he's, camera. But, but he's and no very one knows tall. what he thinks. He's very tall. He's good looking. He's got very blue eyes. Right. He's like, you know, one of these strong, silent types. Right. But, you know we, what I mean? but everybody had a sense that he was, he was a two-state guy. He was a, he was well, a, his wife was famously a member of the Mahsom Watch, which is a, an organization, a left-wing organization that basically would stand next to IDF soldiers at their 
checkpoints and give them a hard time as they're checking, doing security checks on Arabs who are coming in. Okay, so Mahzom Watch is like the opposite of the right wing here in Israel. So anyway, the right wing is like all like, oh, yeah, Gantz, we told you, is so bad. So then Gantz, who ba- barely has like a word to say, except for this really softball interview that he did this one time finally, is like, you want to criticize me for possibly saying that I was possibly in favor of this thing? Who did the do- Gaza disengagement? Ishai, who did the Gaza disengagement? It was the Likud. It was it was Malka's Likud party, okay, the one that I that I technically signed up for. It was Likud. Yeah, but that's party. not. But but that but that Wait. but that's not what people voted for. Hang on, See, hang that, on, hang on, hang on. Let's get yeah. all the way. Let's go all the way before you defend, okay? So then, so then Gantz is like, who did this? The Likud party. Who voted for it? Netanyahu, Prime Minister, not yet. They have but three the, votes. They show Prime three Minister votes Netanyahu. that he voted on. He voted for it this time. He voted for it that time. And the final, final vote that was going to decide, is it going to happen or not going to happen? And he voted for it. And Prime Minister Netanyahu has not <laughs> issued another statement since then. The Likud party has not said anything. Netanyahu has not said anything. And, you know... It's interesting to, to hear. Everybody, There's nothing to say. understands it. Netanyahu doesn't think. He's not stupid. He doesn't think it was a success. He understands that it was a failure. Uh, and, and You know, though. But you know, moreover, moreover yeah, okay. what's important here, he, he, but here's the critical difference. It could be that Netanyahu voted for it. It could be that Likud did it. But the people did not vote for that. And, they, and, and when you and I were, were, were out there campaigning, people were like, we don't want this thing. And that's right. what it was proven. So therefore, what this whole thing, this whole recrimination is senseless because it's all about what, right, at this stage of the game, it's not about doing a disengagement. It's about, does do the people want to vote for this guy? And the answer is no, because we don't want this thing. Right. We don't want this thing. Right. Well, Gantz, he also said he's like, I don't, I don't want to do a, dis- you know, I'm not going to do any expulsion of settlements, which I personally don't believe um, is true at all. I think that he would do a, uh, do an expulsion of settlements. Otherwise, he wouldn't have even. I think that was like a backtracking on his part. Yeah, no, he put out a balloon out there. He yeah, put a bl- he balloon just, he out there and then, and then went right to the polls to see how to, how how it went over. Right, and it didn't it didn't go over very well. Right, um, but the truth because, is, Ishai, because Malka, yeah, giving land to terrorists is dumb. But, giving away your land, dumb. Not being a smaller Israel instead of being a bigger Israel, dumb. Being a bigger Israel, stronger, more robust, crushing bad guys and existing here as an awesome, robust, powerful, economically powerful, strong, proud Jewish nation with minorities that that are not seditious, living a good life, that's smart. But Ishai, I just want to say for a second that he made an important point, which is that these these acts were committed by the Likud, and What's they the were partially. Part Netanyahu, if he's had some kind of a uh, right right wingening of himself, let's call it nationalism. If let's, he's let's become more nationalist, if he's gone past this uh, this thing that he did, you know, Ishai, Maka, 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 wait, Maka, Maka, wait, backtrack one second. It doesn't matter what Netanyahu wants. His whole government, his whole Likud, is hawkish. And nationalist, right? But, they won't, but they Ariel Sharon had a hawkish nationalist thing also, and 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 he managed to shove it through. Can I? I just want to say what I want to say, which is which is that I think that in the wake of this kind of throwback to two thousand and five, 
I think that Prime Minister Netanyahu owes us some words. I I will think that he does owe, like, I think he's done a good job, but I think that he needs to say something like, yeah, I did that, and I'm sorry that I did that. Like, I, that is bad policy, and I've learned since then, this is horrible, and it, it is a blight on my record, and I have, like, I'm a different guy now, and I'm a, or I'm a better, I'm a better politician now, I'm a better something. Leader, leader. Yes, leader. I'm a leader yeah. now, and I don't, I would never do that, and I was pressured, and I was this, right? But, like, I don't want to see him just, like, leave this and gloss it over and be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I personally, Malka Fleischer does not think that Bibi Netanyahu wants to do a wholesale expulsion from set from settlements that, like what happened in in Gush Katif. Maybe but he doesn't want to think- say that because he's afraid that 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 the Trump peace plan may come out and recommend this, right? And then and he, he wants to be on 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 paper, not right now at this point. That's saying, possible. Saying that he's against it, I wish he would. That's possible, but, but it the- would be it would be really cool. You know who's really cool, Yishai? Well, I want to go back to the first part of our conversation. Mm. I'm very excited. I had like, my mind was opened when I looked at the list of people who, who, um, at at the rankings that came out from the Likud party primaries. Now, the first guy is Benjamin Netanyahu. No surprise there. The second person is Yuli Edelstein. The Speaker of the Knesset. The Speaker of the Knesset. And I want to say that I'm really pleased by that. And you know what it opened my mind to for a second? I thought to myself, maybe Yuli Edelstein will be prime minister of Israel one day. That would be an incredible day. And then as I was thinking about Yuli Edelstein, Isha, I mean, your your beautiful city of Hebron has some personal experience with Yuli Edelstein. Am I absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. He's a, he's a close friend of Hebron's. He's a close and friend. And you, you know, there was a, there we were, were just in his office. We were just in his office and he signed for us a declaration about building Hebron, and he's he's great. He he's canceled. A, he he forced the the cancellation of an anti-Hebron conference in the Knesset, which was a, going to be a big. He's a uh, nationalist. He's a keep aware, and he's very pleasant mannered, and he is able to. Uh, he, he's very skilled, and he's not a slimy politician. You just feel it. Right. He's a cool guy. He's an amazing guy. Yeah, he's got he amazing lived, history. He lived down the street here in Neve Daniel for many years until that's his right. wife passed away, and then I think he moved to Kedumim or some other place that's. That's also in Judea and Samaria. And, you know, after he got second place, I decided I'm going to look him up and, like, get more knowledge about him on Wikipedia. And when I read this, I felt I felt like I have to read this to you guys because it, I couldn't believe who this person is. And this is so Israel, this story. So here's Yuli Edelstein. He is 60 years old. He was born in Chernivtsi, Ukraine, right to a Jewish family. His mother, Anita Edelstein, was Jewish, while his father, Yuri Edelstein, is the son of a Jewish father and Christian mother. So he's Jewish, but his father is technically not Jewish. Both the parent, both converted to Christianity, and Yuri is now a Russian Orthodox priest. Not Yuli, Yuri, the Yuri, father. Yuri, the father is now a Russian Orthodox... First, I I misread it too, and I was like, oh, no. But okay. No, it is Yuri the Father, is now a Russian Orthodox priest in Karabanovo of Kostromo Oblast named Father Georgi. So you got Yuli Edelstein, the speaker of the Israeli Knesset, who might be prime minister of Israel one day, and his father is a Russian Orthodox priest in 
in the Ukraine. While his parents taught at universities in the countryside, Edelstein was raised by his maternal grandparents. His grandfather had taught himself Hebrew at the age of 70 and used to listen to the voice of Israel on a shortwave radio. Keep in mind that that was probably very dangerous for him. When Edelstein's grandfather died, Yuli began to study Hebrew and read books such as Exodus by Leon Uris, which inspired him. In 1977, during his second year of university, Edelstein applied for an exit visa to immigrate to Israel. But where Mm -hmm. is he living? In the Soviet Union. Right. So turned down, he began to associate with a small group of Hebrew teachers who held classes in their apartments. These classes are all illegal, keep in mind. This is not just like chug bite, you know what I mean? Like, oh, let's just do it in someone's living room. It's cheaper. It's like, no, let's shutter the windows and do this really secretly so we don't all go to Siberia. In 1979, he was expelled from the university and suffered harassment by the KGB and local police. During this time, he found odd jobs as a street cleaner, security guard, and more. In 1984, he and the other Hebrew teachers were arrested on fabricated charges, Edelstein himself being charged with possession of drugs and sentenced to three years in prison. This is for Hebrew study. Okay, people? You understand what people go through in the Soviet to be Union. Jews? Right. He was then sent to Siberian gulags and did hard labor, first in Buryatia and then in Novosibirsk. He broke several bones after falling from a construction tower. He was due to be transferred back to Buryatia, but his wife Tanya threatened to go on hunger strike if he was returned there. He was released in May 1987. I was seven years old. On the eve of Israeli Independence Day, the next to last of the refuseniks to be freed. Then he, like, came to Israel right away, basically. Um, he lives now in Herzliya. He's married to Tanya, Tatiana, uh, who was a Zionist activist for 33 years. They met in the Soviet Union when she attended Hebrew class that he was teaching. After they immigrated to Israel, she worked at the Civil Aviation Authority, and they had two children together. She passed away in 2014 of cancer at the age of 63. Um, but then two years later, uh, Yuli married Irina Nevzilin, chair of, of the board of directors of the Museum of the Jewish People at Beit HaTzfutzot and president of the Nadav Foundation. I felt like I could not not read this because he's such a, he's such a, wonderful he's such a like wonderful representative a wonderful speaker of the house you know sometimes when we think about politics in israel it's just like you know what i mean it just feels like politics is gross and no one wants to to trust a politician and no one wants to see the 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 campaigning and the smearing and the all these different things i mean this happens in all countries around the world you know politics is not considered typically the most beautiful profession to be in but then you get a yuri yuli edelstein who was elected second in the most powerful party in the country and to me he he's like the most decent good upstanding really jewish he's always wearing his kippa and i'm just i'm proud i'm like very happy and i definitely i voted for him um for the likud primaries and he he made it to to the second in the party 
a, a lot of other great people. You got Israel Katz in third place, Gilad Erdan in fourth place. Israel Katz is the one who has really built the uh, help build the the roads infrastructure and the and the rail infrastructure. It's being built right now. Gilad Erdan, Minister of Internal Security, has done such a great job on the Temple Mount. Right, really and he's been very concerned with with showing the security issues that Israel deals with. You got Gidon Sar, Miri Regev, who some people really. I don't know, have a issues lot of with. Love her though, I obviously. love her. Yeah. I love Miri Regev, even though even though uh, Gantz reminded us that it was important what he said. I thought it was actually it was it was kind of uh, important that he that he noted that Miri Regev, for example, was the chief spokesperson of the IDF during the Gaza expulsion. Right. It was her job to like sell it to the people that this was like a good idea, and Miri. Like, I, you, I love you today. You know what I mean? It's like, it's been 13 years. Things change. People change. Times change. Right. We grow. We develop. Okay? I get it. And I believe in that, even for politicians. But, but, but like, I need to hear the words. Like, say it to me. I need to hear you say, like, Al-Chet. I need you to say, like, I have nightmares about this. I can't believe that this is part of who I was. I, I uh, forget that. Just say it simply. That was wrong. I don't, right, that I don't, was I don't, wrong. I, I shouldn't have done emotional. it. Shouldn't no, have done it, it. Was, it. Forget shouldn't have done it. I just want to hear it. That was wrong. I'm not okay. going to do We're not going to do that policy. Fine. Let's just talk policy. Like, right. that was bad policy. We're not going to do that again. That's it. I'm not, I'm not interested in your emotional makeup. I'm interested that you will not vote for such a thing ever again. Right. It doesn't matter if it comes from a Prime Minister Trump, uh, from a Prime Minister Netanyahu or President Trump. Right. We're not going right. that way again. Right. You got number seven is Yoav Galant. Eight is Yariv Levine. Nine is former mayor of Jerusalem near Barkat. That'll That's be right. interesting. Ten is Gila Gamliel. Um, there were a few people who did not make it into what they call a reasonable or a realistic. likely realistic slot. You never know, but doesn't seem like it. Uh, and some of them are kind of sad for me. One is Yehuda Glick, Rabbi Yehuda Glick, who a we good all do, we all owe a Mazel Tov to on his uh, on his new marriage. He, they should live together in happiness and health. Admei of Israel. I guess that's probably comforting him as he's realizing that he's probably going to have some extra time on his hands suddenly, um, and may not make it. And he is one of the great um, advocates for the Temple Mount and Jewish rights on the Temple Mount, and also for, by the way, for 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 understanding and coexistence. Right. Yes. He. Yeah. Absolutely. You're you're so right. Oren Chazan, who is like such a wild character, um, and some people, I guess enough people basically found really, really off-putting, but also like a bulldog for right-wing. He, uh, he's like he's like a he's like a he's like a, a, a like a loudmouth Morton Downey Jr. type of like character, like. But but on the other hand, people like you and I were appreciative of the fact that he was so abrasive, but abrasive in the right direction. I think he's going to do fine. Yeah. I think all he needs is a TV show. <laughs> that's a good call. That's a, that's all a person. That is like, a very good call. A person like that, people like that. Th- these people, he, he's a natural entertainer and a fighter. Just give him a TV show. That and is he, such a good call. Be, I hope be, somebody's listening. Just who, give him a, a TV show and a long leash. Right, absolutely. And just he can make be, a great reality show. Right, he'll just he'll um, just rock. And it. also, I have to say that that I wasn't sure if I was going to vote for him, but I did. And that's communications minister Ayub Kara, right? Who is Druze, right? Um, I voted for him because he, I like what he represents, basically, which is a, a, a minority. mostly loyal minority here in right. Israel, um, and he's always been a big advocate for uh, the Jewish nature of Israel. 
um, and the rights of Israel and the strength of Israel. And I thought that that was important um, to have a voice like that, which is very much from the inside, right? Because the Druze are uh, part of the fabric of our country, but also kind of from the outside, not a Jewish voice who can also recognize the importance of the Jewish voice. I thought that was important. Um, unfortunately, my co-voters in Likud didn't feel the same way, and he didn't make the top 40. So that's it. So it's been an interesting week. Uh, we got Rosh Chodesh Adar. We, we're now in the happy time. Bezrat Hashem, with God's help, we're in a happy time. Um, two months of Adar this year, which is so like a weird concept to anyone who's hanging out with the Gregorian calendar. Um, but it's the it's the months of Purim, and uh, we're we're really excited. The kids are gonna be like ruining their teeth over the course of the next two months, as like it becomes much more candy and much more treats, and you know all that stuff. But you gotta live. Okay, and it is raining here in Judea, and uh, I want to bless everybody out there with with good energy and good times. Uh, and uh, I have a little bit of a cold. You may have a little bit of a cold, so I want to bless you with health uh, and briut etana, like full health and, and get back to health. Uh, and it, th- this cold has also started to make my brain a little bit function slightly less. So if I missed, I, I feel like there was a, another thing that I wanted to talk about uh, today's show, but I feel like the minute we're done, we're going to turn off the recording, it'll be like, oh, this other thing. But whatever that other thing is, that's also okay. Okay, you don't always have to control that other thing. Sometimes we have to let go and just accept that the world is the way the world is and it's a good world and God has given us a good world and God has given us each other. So wherever you are out wherever you are out there, please be part of each other. Send us an email, yishaitalandofisrael.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and if you didn't make the book cut off this week to, to win the, the new book, no big deal. We'll come up with something cool uh, next week with the help of God. I also want to thank the good folks at Hebron, Hebron, Hebronfund.org. Uh, we'll get you to Hebron. We'll show you the mamas and the papas. We'll keep building it, securing it, beautifying it, keeping the access open. It's an awesome opportunity to come visit us and come be part of the story. Uh, I had a, uh, a Katie Hopkins, uh, the kind of famous British and, and controversial British uh, uh, media figure in Hebron. She was loving it. You told me that she was stopped by a bunch of people. You, you know, knew who you know, she was. You know what she has, Malka? You know what she has? She has an Ein Tova. Really good accent. She has an Ein Tova for Am Yisrael. Hmm. She is one of these people who basically looks at Am Yisrael. She's a Gentile, a Goy. She looks at Am Yisrael and she's like, you're beautiful. Your presence on this land is beautiful. Your Torah is beautiful. You, you folks are beautiful, and I see your beauty. And there could be another European person, and they just look at us, and they're like, you're thieves, settlers. We live with, the, we live with a lot of that. We right? live like, with a lot of that. And they just have an Ein Hara for Am Yisrael. And she's like, no, I see, I see the, your goodness. I see your light. I see your 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 pregnant women. I see your 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 what you want to achieve. I see how much light you're bringing to this world. And it's just, you know what? I, I, like on the one hand, I believe that you could educate for that, but on the other hand, there's just some people who could just see the light of Israel, and some people who cannot see the light of Israel, who want to believe the lies and the hype. And that's that's very very adar. That's very adar to me. Purim is exactly the day where the Pac-Man who is running away from those ghosts eats that pill 
and turns around and starts to eat those ghosts, right? That's what that's what Pur- Purim is, Pac-Man. Okay, Purim is Pur- the story of the Megillah is basically the story of Pac-Man, right? It's the it's the it's you know the um the the, the uncut version. And and some people look at Pac-Man when he's powerful and they're like, "Oh, Pac-Man, look at you swallowing those ghosts. Those ghosts were always there." And 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 you're taking them, you know, taking their home, their their life away, and all that kind of stuff. And other people are like, "Pac-Man, you're a hero. You're awesome. Go <laughs> get as many of the bad guys and and live on a clean board of 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 your you know your Wonderful land. Little dots. And and those and and the the bad ghosts will be eaten. Maybe there'll be ghosts that are that themselves turn into good ghosts or something. Okay. But the bottom line is that the bottom line is that uh, uh, Purim is a kind of litmus test for what kind of person are you? Do you look? favorably on Am Yisrael? Do you look at Am Yisrael with good eyes? And I know that if you've listened to this part of the show, that means you've listened all the way to the end, which has been a long, long show, and therefore you got to send me hashtag good eyes. Good eyes. That's what I want. I want hashtag good eyes. That's what I want to know. That way I know that you uh, heard it all the way to the end, even with Malka's long political rant, okay? Was it's it boring? Good. No, it was interesting. It was interesting. It was moving, and it was nice to see you excited about Israeli politics. I like Israeli politics. Yeah, absolutely. I also don't like Israeli politics, but I like Israeli politics. We got to lead the way. By the way, Yuli Edelstein, look at that. You, you got right there in OTO, one of the magazines that Leah gets. Look at the cover. Kids magazine. Yeah, there he is. There he is, Yuli Edelstein, at the castle with the kids. I hope he'll continue being great. I Amen. like I like liking a No great doubt, politician. no doubt, no doubt. Absolutely. Not even, let's not even use the word politician and politics and all. Let's leader, use the word leader. Great leaders. Jewish leader. That's right. Let's talk about leadership. Let's, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. If you change that one word and talk about Hanhaga, you never hear about that word in Hebrew, it's Hanhaga yeah, on the radio. Don't talk about politika. Talk about Hanhaga. Uh, but uh, don't talk about politics. Talk about leadership. You'll see that that change itself, that change itself, will bring a lot, a, a lot of positive yes. changes to the world. All right, folks, you have been listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem. This section from Judea. Very, very, very lucky. Very thankful to be part of this great story. You're a part of it wherever you are. So stay tuned. Stay connected. Stay strong. Stay part of it. Stay lit up. Stay broadcasting. Rebroadcasting. Stay energized and, and, and turned on and, and part of something really, really amazing. Give us a holler if you get a chance. Write us a little email. Good eyes. Hashtag good eyes. God bless you wherever you are. Shabbat shalom and shalom from the land of Israel. Tune in this week to Israel Uncensored with Josh Haston for an exclusive interview with Knesset Insider and Mifaseret City Council member Jeremy Sultan on the New Yamin Party, headed by Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked. When Naftali Bennett sits down with the Prime Minister, assuming it, assuming it's Netanyahu, and he can I'm say, pretty, I'm pretty sure you're confident. Is, I'm very confident that he's right. going to look. Okay. look. People can look at the numbers in the polls, but the blocks don't change. And as long as the right-wing block is ahead of the left-wing block, I don't think that Netanyahu's premiership is in any doubt. That's Israel Uncensored with Josh Haston on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.